Hey there, Ineash Brodsky. This is Ineash Brodsky. Hey, Ineash Brodsky. This is Ineash Brodsky. <laughs> what the hell is going on here? I'm so confused. There are the three Junipers playing uh, whatever Ultimate Sims. I figured multiple copies. It's the and I hadn't picked this name yet somehow. So and there's two fans. Yeah. So, okay. It works on many levels. Cloning is a theme in this chapter. It is. I'm not sure the podcast would be as interesting if it was me talking with me because I already know all my shit. But be hard maybe. to surprise and deceive yourself. Exactly. You definitely would have seen this coming. <laughs> I would have. Yes. All right. Well, what is it that we are doing here uh, when we are not pretending to be the other person? That's right. This is our podcast. Everything was a clue where you and I <laughs> sit down for the last time to talk about, oh, at least for the last time to review the book. Uh, speaking of the book, Alexander Wales web serial, Worth the Candle, available on audiobook and ebook on Amazon and possibly elsewhere. Yes, uh, there is notes in the show links. No, there's links in the show notes. Ah, Nailed it. <laughs> the, you can click on those. You can buy his stuff. There's also links to his Patreon if you want to support him directly. And there is links to our Patreon if you want to support us. Um, I guess this is the last month that this Patreon will bill. And then, I don't know, we'll put it on pause for at least a while and maybe just discontinue it altogether. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah, but I, keep, keep yeah. the feed alive in your guys' podcatchers. More is coming out at some point. We'll announce it on Discord or something too, but um, Excellent. there's more content forthcoming. Yeah, just not not immediately because uh, we both need a break and I'm going to Burning Man at the end of the month and uh, then middle of next month I'm going to England. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a hiatus. Yeah, not just England, Oxford. Uh, that's true. He wasn't yes. invited to Oxford by someone, I will- but yeah. Very, well, I was invited cool. to an abbey very close to Oxford. Close enough. In fact, it's probably more yeah. exclusive. Right? Because only monks are allowed in here. Yeah. It's that kind <laughs> of abbey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be good times. I'm looking forward um, to it. Well, looking, to, looking forward to it for you. Um, yeah. I will also be not doing either of those things, but having a chill, you know, month and a half. So it'll yes. be great. It is. Um, I guess before we get started, I will also say that since I'm going to be at Burning Man at the end of this month uh, and early next month, uh, anyone else that's going, that's listening to this, hit me up. Uh, I can maybe we'll meet at some point. I don't know. I'm going to be camping with Camp Soft Landing, which is over at 945. And I want to say H... Ah, I had to, I'd have to look it up and I forgot to do that before we recorded, but you know, you can look up camps off landing and, uh, I don't know, uh, just let me know. Maybe we'll meet up someplace. If anyone's at Burning Man, yeah, I guess just first step, you know, message you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, do we want to get into a few of our n- meta notes and, um, before we hit the one from the audience thing? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, my first thing is not even anything to do with, uh, with worth the candle or or anything else we've done before, but just the way it, it should a, be. <laughs> <laughs> it is about why women kill. Uh, I don't know if you have heard of this show or seen this show. Uh, I stumbled across it. Oh my god! I think I saw like is this on Hulu? Uh, no, it's not. Netflix? Uh, nope. Okay, then I don't know what this is. I thought it was one of those ones of like here's a bunch of battered women and how they killed people. Part of the the justice of that sounds fun, but it just sounds like a really bummer of a show. So exactly, which is why, like, if I had known there was a show with this name, I wouldn't even give it a second glance. Right? It sounds terrible. It sounds like one of those documentaries I don't want to watch. Um, but uh, I would have been 
doing myself a terrible disfavor because I know I was talking a bit about um, Taika Waititi and, you know, his recent projects, including The Pirate Show, Our Flag Means Death, which is a lot of fun and I enjoyed quite a bit. But, but oh my God, Why Women Kill is just significantly better on every single level. And wow. I mean, okay, so I, I like Our Flag Means Death. It's very cartoonish. It's very fun. But Why Women Kill is fucking hilarious i have laughed out loud watching that show many times in ways that i have not laughed out loud for other shows in a long time oh one second yes okay it was found by my partner charlie and i then walked into the room while she was watching it she did that that got discovered yeah she did the original discovery there i have corrected the record (laughs) okay she says she knew i would like it but she didn't know if i would make time to watch it and i i didn't at first that's why she was watching it and i had to stumble into her watching it but anyways it's about um three women living in three different decades a housewife in the 1960s a socialite in the 1980s and a lawyer in 2018 dealing with infidelity in their marriages yes it's it's relations that sounds like i'm not sold at all but your your hype is selling me 100 percent. so dude it's i mean technically it's relationship drama but in reality, it is high comedy. It is fucking hilarious. They find themselves in the craziest situations. The dialogue is like amazing. This is just really well written. Everyone is a real person, and like you feel for all of them because they get in these situations, and none of them's like an evil asshole bad guy. Well, maybe one guy kind of, uh, but he's got he's got issues. I don't know. The whole thing, like everyone, is relatable and fun. There's some parts that are just so fucking sweet. You're like, oh. They're in love. That's amazing. And then there's other parts that are just absolute fucking comedic genius riots. And then every now and then you just get a sucker punch right into your feels. And like, okay, I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't overhype things. I say that sometimes. I I don't want people thinking it's the best thing ever. But it's really good. And I would highly recommend it. And the main problem with it and why probably nobody has seen it is because it's on Paramount+. Plus. And nobody has Paramount Plus unless they're already like a big Star Trek fan. So, you know, that kind of sucks. I honestly think this is worth the money to rent from uh, Amazon or YouTube or whatever. Or, uh, you know, maybe maybe take your ethics into your own two hands and sail some high seas to, to see it. But it's it's worth your time, definitely. You know, Stephen, you know me, right? Inyash doesn't like stuff. He doesn't hype stuff at all. <laughs> Not only that, but do I binge watch things? No, it's impossible to get you to watch things. I, well, <laughs> well, I watch some things, but I certainly don't... Like, even Harley Quinn, which is my favorite show up until this show, I would still only watch one episode per day. When I found this, I watched four episodes in a row. And they're 46 minutes each, guys. This is, uh, as far as I know, in the years I've known you, unprecedented. It's every now and then this kind of thing happens. Like, Firefly would have done the same thing to me if I could have watched all of Firefly. Uh, but... It, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm, no, man. Not to hype it too much. It's very enjoyable. People's take is that, you know, takeaway can be that you thought this was awesome. And for me, that's enough to give it a shot. I'll check it out tonight. So cool. Um, I actually have not seen the first two episodes yet because I walked in on Charlie while she was watching episode three. So uh, I uh, maybe those two suck. I'm pretty sure they're amazing, though, because the other ones are good. But uh, I'll, I'm going to go back and watch those. And then, uh, yeah, I'm just enjoying it. Hyped. This is going to be great, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I got to think of a, something to plug show-wise, stuff-wise. Uh, Watch the, it with uh, Rachel. She'll love it, too. Oh, 100%. I, don't, I honestly don't really watch any TV by myself. Oh, like, okay. It's, you know, yeah, if I'm alone, I'm playing video games, usually. So Nice. 
Um, I'm trying to basically think of, true for me too. What, what are we watching? Better Call Saul is wrapping up this season, actually, like in a couple of weeks. Um, okay, and it was, it's been a great climax so far. So mm-hmm. that's that. And there's a show that I think I recommended to you, and it's got to be different than Why Women Kill, but it's a show called Only Murders in the Building. Oh yeah, you have mentioned that. Yeah, Steve Martin about people trying to do a podcast, right? Martin Short and Selena Gomez. Wait, and Martin Short and Steve Martin back together again? I believe so. Neat. Uh, as long as that is that guy, let me double check Wikipedia. Yep, that's the one. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Um, it's quirky. It's chill, but it's got you know like a fun little murder mystery, um, as the name implies. Uh, mm. So yeah, like they want to do like a murder podcast because they're all they think it would be a fun idea, and mm-hmm. I think you'll love Selena Gomez's character. She is just cool. like she has zero fucks to give like at, at all, and her her oh, her, her awesome. affect is just like I don't know bored millennial the whole time. It's really funny. <laughs> um, cool, but yeah, and then they're like, oh, well, the murders too general, and like they live in New York, and well, how about only yeah. you know ones in the neighborhood? Are you kidding? There's like half a million people in the neighborhood. All right, only murders in the building, and that's how the name gets its sh- or the show gets its name. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I might check that out right after Why Women Kill. I, I mean, I can't give it as strong of an endorsement, but I've been enjoying it. And season two is wrapping up here soon. So cool. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Well, uh, let's jump into the actual stuff. Oh, wait. You've got uh, another unorganized. It's not quite part of a feedback here. Oh, yes. Okay. Right. I have been convinced um, that we have been <laughs> – the term slave species <laughs> has been a uh, a – distraction they they some some sufferists slap that name onto a species just to make us think that it's bad and honestly we should just be calling them happy species <laughs> <laughs> because yeah we got to talking on the discord and i was like well you know I, I if someone loves doing something and gets life fulfillment out of it and it doesn't hurt or anything that seems great like by that reckoning i'm part of a slave species where i'm enslaved to having sex with people you know that's and uh if someone were to put me in a situation where like that was what i had to do because that was my labor in the world i i I think i'd be okay with that i i'd have a good time there so um yeah making a species that feels happy and fulfilled by doing good things for other people and everybody appreciates them and they have a good life that's just that's just making a happy species and we should do lots of that hmm i mean yeah sure like hypothetically if in in the most convenient possible world, I've got a sentient Roomba that loves cleaning my house. Yeah. Like, perfect. You're happy, I'm happy. Right. Um, yeah. I think that uh, we've, we've got a, like, slave species, the, the term in this story, anyway, came from, you know, June's imagination. And we can be sure that it's the least convenient possible world, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I can't remember if we've got any examples, because I'm sure anything that, that, he would, would have thought up would have been more creative than anything I could think of right now. But well, like, what sparked this was us talking about whether the thespian was a slave species because the thespian is brought in to do labor that no one else wants to do, you know, pretending to be people who are suffering, but he loves it. He, it's, it's his life goal is that he's like Clayface from Harley Quinn. He just wants to act all the time. <laughs> Except he's better at it. <laughs> yeah, that too. I, I don't know. I think that, I think the thespian might be, Uncon- like not be conscious but you know let's not drop the c word i could i guess we could look at like house elves <laughs> are mm-hmm. are the kind of other high uh archetypal archetypical example right mm-hmm. it, i think they love cleaning but they've got this like horrifying compulsion to it right so maybe you subtract that part out yeah like 
I mean, the, the, the it kind of reminds me of the non-central fallacy. Like the thing that is bad about slavery is the suffering. Uh, it, it, people are forced to do work they don't want to do and pain is inflicted upon them if they don't do it. And oftentimes pain is inflicted upon them during the doing of it because they're made to do hard, painful things. Like that's, that's all the bad stuff. If people are doing things that they like doing and want to do, then I guess you can call them a slave species <laughs> because they're doing labor for free. But like I do this podcast for free and uh, I do lots of things for free that I enjoy doing, even though they might technically be considered work. I think the difference is, and just to nitpick is if you had to do this, for 40 hours a week for enough for no pay you'd be like okay it's not that fun right i yes but in that way I, i'm i'm enslaved to eating food in the same way I, it's something i have to do and i think you hate it i still like it <laughs> well i still like some food i mean i well so like food for me you know we talked about which you need uh whatever body functions um yeah. in the whatever glorious transhuman future i think i put eating on the same scale as like other things right Okay. Like I want to be able to enjoy eating when I feel like it, yeah. but I don't want to be like become increasingly uncomfortable and then die if I don't eat. Right. Right. So it's a, uh, so, but I mean, if what you're saying is that, you know, take a, take a perfectly happy, uh, whatever being and mm -hmm. it likes doing whatever you're, whatever it's doing and it, mm -hmm. it has no discontents with it. Like someone, I no one. I think no one can point to that and call that bad. Like, right. So, so no, I think, I think you're right. As long as it's, as long as it's cornered in such a way where it's like, no, they're actually happy. It doesn't hurt. And whatever society isn't worse off for having it. Um, yeah. Then yeah, go nuts. Like, I think, I, I guess I could think of when I said society's not worse off, like imagine if it was Westworld, except the robots really loved being raped and killed. Right. I still think that would actually be bad just because of the society that would foster that, that, that uh, situation. Like the badness of I Westworld isn't that the robots suffer because yeah. the, uh, hypothetically they don't. It's that uh, it's it's the community that's like, yep, no, I'm going to go to rape rape uh, murder camp this summer. What are you guys doing? You know, like <laughs> right. That, yeah. That's the horrifying part of it. Um, so, but, yeah. but other than that, if you're not doing anything morally deplorable, then yeah, go nuts. Super into it. Well, I think some people would argue that making a species that wants to do your chores or, you know, mine coal out of your mines or whatever is morally deplorable. And I just, I don't think I'm convinced by that at all, that if something has to be done, uh, like, you know, planting and harvesting food, it's far better for the people that love doing it to do that. And uh, then that's actually a good to create people who love doing that. Even if it's like not a necessity, you know, I guess like my house... Is at at some point will need cleaning. I've never yeah. gotten to the point where like it it's so dirty it actually just desperately needs to be cleaned before it becomes unsafe. Um, mm -hmm. But that could happen. Uh, mm -hmm. But no, I mean, if I think as long as the thing likes it and it's making something better by doing it, feeding them, cleaning stuff, whatever. Yeah, super into mm -hmm. it. Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll take two house elves, please. <laughs> the happy kind. Right. Yes. Not the bad ones. All right. So from the audience. From the audience. Griffin had um, a, a comment that you put here. Maybe there's some context I'm missing. He's talking P-zombies versus the thespians argument. His take on how a god can trivially make the thespians work without them being sentient. God predicts forward every action a person would take and just pre-programs those actions. The system appears from the outside to be autonomous, but internally is just hard-coded. 
you could do that. But this was mainly because people were trying to say, well, the thespians aren't really a slave species because they're pea zombies. They don't have any experience. And we protested that that seems kind of dumb since pea zombies are dumb and can't exist. And uh, I guess you could do this thing that he just said. God predicts everything that'll happen and then just puts a robot in place that'll mimic those actions. But also, you don't need to make the excuse that uh, the thespians aren't bad because they can't feel anything because of whatever reason because uh actually slave species are good when they're actually happy species and the word slave is being used badly so uh we we no longer have to bite any sort of bullet i like how you included me in the royal we there when in fact i was the one making the case last week that the the thespians were pea zombies oh were you yeah <laughs> you, oh, okay. you made such a convincing argument to yourself that you just thought that everyone was on it <laughs> Well, I guess, like, in a novel, the author could just say they're pea zombies and it works by authorial fiat, but... that That's more or less how I was picturing it. And, like, that's, you know, like, if if all, all it really took was me imagining if God wanted to make a pea zombie, could he? And the answer is yes, right? It actually it, doesn't in, matter how, but, it like, there are a hundred different ways that it could be done. Uh, you could also just make it, like, literally a, a pea zombie, like, philosophers worry about. It has... It acts like a, like a conscious thing. It talks about its experiences, but there's just actually no lights on. Like that, yeah, there's if, nothing, if, there's, if it's logically possible, I think God could do it, right? I mean, I don't know if it's logically possible, actually, but if as long as we're talking about magic, you don't need things to be logically possible anymore. So, I mean, you. Could, <laughs> I read a great story of where uh, two plus two equaled five, which was, it was, you know, a very short, fun little thing, but it, it was like, oh, I guess, I guess that could work. That sounds interesting. I mean, I guess by logically possible, I mean like literally imaginable. Like it's not possible to imagine a world where like all A are B, all B are C. Like it's not possible to imagine a world where some A's aren't C's. Sure it is. Uh, not uh, not consistently. I just did it. I don't think you did. <laughs> you must be a pea zombie. Uh, <laughs> nice. You, you, show me, you show me how this works on paper. Although I guess I couldn't show you how pea zombieism works on paper either. I could pretend to do. Anyway, we're getting deep in the weeds. Point is, all yes. I was saying is that if you're God, God could just say, fuck you, I'm doing it. Um, right. But yeah, in the context of the story, I didn't really go back and read the part raising to do. But I do remember him being excited and saying, you know, here's my card. I'd love to work, you know, be an actor for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it. the thing is, I don't, I don't think it actually matters. But uh, I do like the the version of it where, like, so it, if so, if he's not sentient, then there, or if he's not conscious, then there's nothing wrong happening, right? It's it's Westworld, where they're actually just you know robots. Um, right. If he is conscious, then he loves his job, and you know, being the you know, they like. I imagine him hanging out in hell, and then it's like he knows the infernoscopes are coming on. All right, everyone, places, places, let's do this. <laughs> yes. And they're all just stoked to get play the part, you know. Yeah. So I think that's that's exactly how it's going, and I, I like that. That second image is much more fun than the first, so I'm gonna just go with that. Cool. All right. All right, and I think you have a final thought. Oh yeah, this uh, this doesn't fit with the title of the show, which is weird. But remember <laughs> how I was harping on the the period from fifth or the the note from fifth period English? Mm-hmm. It it didn't make an appearance in the book. It did not. I was a little put out. Yeah, you know, it's it's not a big deal. Like it, it wasn't actually hinted that this would matter. But you've got to admit, I think I made a compelling case. Like Jun didn't have any friends. Who passes notes in twenty seventeen? <laughs> Texting is a thing, right? It is, you know, so it, that is such a, uh, although Mm -hmm. we think about, uh, 
when June was 17 was, you know, he was, the idea is that this was Alexander Wales, uh, uh, an avatar, uh, an imagining of him when he was 17. Yes. Back but he did then, fast forward there it. weren't text messages. But he did fast forward everything to take place in 2017. Sure. But if he was passing a note, you know, that made more sense when he was 17 than when June was. Yes. All right. Also, I believe at least one person in the Discord hypothesized that uh, he was going to kill himself for good the next day. So he was passing out his suicide notes to to people like saying, hey, I'm sorry. And that kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's possible. I think he would know that by passing out a note in advance, he would definitely be stopped. Um, but maybe oh, that's maybe. what he wanted, you know. Uh, yeah. I think that, um, you know, if I squint, in fact, the fact that he was passing a note actually is a clue about who the author was and how this whole thing worked out. Oh, because it implies that the author is much older than a 17-year-old. Right. There's there's an yeah. anachronism in the form of, of <laughs> passing a message via paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to roll with that. This was, in fact, one of the biggest clues in the story. All right. <laughs> All right. At last. Well, not quite last. We've got three people who need closure first. We do. Those people are the narrator, the angel, and the devil. Oh, I mean, this solid hmm. transition. I was going to say Fen, Bethel, and Raven. So. Oh. <laughs> oh, nailed it. Hey, it works either way. Yeah. yeah. All right, 252. Yes. Uh, so we get a description of Fen's heaven, which after all the other heavens we've seen, this one actually sounds like a legit heaven to me. It's It's got beautiful aesthetic it's got two fucking fens i mean i love fen as it is but now we get two of them she's got her muscular oiled masseuses that she always wanted who sometimes take liberties with them Those uh, wicked Juniper- men. <laughs> i know <laughs> juniper gets to play the gods game which is the most insane awesome game of all like everything about it just seems awesome i, I want this life she uh she got it good you know i think that as far as the the heavens i think Amaryllis slash June and uh, Val and Fen all got like very similar heavens in that they could all have whatever they wanted like this. Yeah. And so it, I don't know. I think uh, we didn't get to see much of like there. I don't know. I'm trying to think if I had to pick, but they're all so close to the same slash different based on like who's there. But see, I would not have both Fen, uh, both uh, Amaryllis's and uh, Val's heaven. I would have been like, yeah, okay. These are great and all, but like this heaven, I think, spoke to me which i guess says something about my particular brand of hedonism <laughs> um <laughs> I, I guess i guess none of them have really reached out to you that much yet maybe maybe one of the future heavens yeah we'll see which one i like the most when we get through all of them i guess i guess i'm thinking like amaryllis's and vows could be this if they just wanted well-oiled muscular men massaging them you know right yeah everyone gets whatever they want yeah so it's not like it's a different heaven they just have different they've selected different things in the menu and the menu includes mm-hmm. basically everything yeah. Yeah. Well, I like a ticket. I mean, yeah. the, the, it's it's almost touching that she got her well-oiled muscular men. Like, it's great because it's it's funny and it's comic relief. But like, you know, it, it was just a reminder that like they talked about this back early in the story. Mm-hmm. So it's like a nice kind of like, oh, yeah, reminiscing thing. And then, you know, yeah. she was killed and still got the happy ending, you know, all the way down to the to the well-oiled muscular men. It's just right. It's touching. Good for her. It is. Yeah. <laughs> It's not just a joke. It's something she really wanted. And she got it. Everybody Hell wins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And June gets to play the best game ever created. Yeah. It's just like Ultimate Sims. Mm-hmm. And uh, they it's competitive Ultimate Sims. It, I don't quite get how it worked, but it's like a, what all of those nation games. Civilization. Yeah, yeah. Except super high res. 
you know, mm-hmm. deeply immersive. And uh, apparently the, the narrator sucks at it. So, well, sucks <laughs> compared to the other two Junes. Yes, he's not quite as good at it. <laughs> it was. It seemed like a really fun game. And especially since playing the game sound a lot like just running Arab, you know? Because it was like, try to make the best stories you can using these themes. Try to make them happen on the world that's being simulated. I'm like, hey, that's... That's basically what was happening in Worth the Candle for the past 240 chapters, where they were trying to make the best story they could, they being just uh, just Alexander Wales, I guess, because there weren't two other hymns. Uh, we're using the themes of, like, I don't know, coming to grips with loss and and becoming a better person and all those stuff. That You know, whatever his three themes were. Yeah. I think I put that in my, my notes when I took him. I was like, is this just creating fiction? And yeah. Yeah. And by just, I don't mean like merely, I mean the butterfly meme. Uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this fiction? Yeah. So, man, I I love that he got like a game that just speaks to him on such a deep level. Pretty baller. Like I said, yeah, good, good, good heaven. Uh, The Fens, I'm reading now, the Fens had a philosophy, which was that you should extract as much fun from something as you could normally, then have assistance or modifications do the rest. And I think I like this particular philosophy because... You know, you do you you don't take the shortcut right away. You do absolutely everything you can on your own. But then like if there's still some more fun to be wrung out of it, go ahead and go ahead and take it using special modifications because why the hell not? I wonder this could be a slippery slope to the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Where like you enjoy playing World of Warcraft a lot mm-hmm. and you're like, "No, I could enjoy this more. I could enjoy this a thousand times more for a thousand years." You know? Yeah. I mean, doesn't that isn't that just wireheading with extra steps? Um, I don't know. Is it wireheading with extra steps to go, you know, deep dive on a, a air like adventure? Well, that's different than extracting as much fun as possible from a thing, right? I think I'm just trying to nitpick. Okay. Uh, no, no, I, I you know, this is like um maybe, you know, taking a year and a half to read a book and mm-hmm. doing a podcast about it. That's about that's mm-hmm. extracting about as much fun as possible. And then <laughs> I'll go right. through and do it again. You know, but probably faster with not a podcast the second time um, at some point to to try and just wring some more fun out of this. Right. Nice. And it'll work. But I think if I were to change my brain so I could just do that forever. Oh, uh, well, yeah, that would be lame. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to maybe assistance might help modifications. I'm a little meh about, um, but I don't think she meant it quite that extreme. Yeah. Just like she couldn't understand the rules very well on her own. Oh yeah, that makes that makes sense. I forgot the context. Yeah, the thing is, I read all of this last week, and so uh, some of it's not quite um, fresh in my brain. But yeah, yeah, I forgot. So yeah, the game is like weirdly complex, and so is uh, <laughs> like her her kid shows up, and mm-hmm. I forgot he existed. That was fun. Um, mm-hmm. And he's she successfully passed on the weeb gene, so he's going to play anime ball for six months. And awesome, like the the game is ridiculously complicated. And so much so that narrator June has to like, whatever, Matrix uploaded the rules to his brain. And he's like, yeah, this isn't meant to be read. You need to, you're supposed to take in the rules this way. And so maybe mm-hmm. she meant that kind of modification. Right. It's like, okay, mere mortals are not meant to understand this game. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what she, yeah, was doing. Okay, super into it. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, since we jumped onto Fence Kid, did you want to say anything else about that before I move over to this other thing i had uh no i mean she wants more kids that's kind of where this ends up going but that's just a fun thing to go on later but okay yeah so june says i think i would still enjoy creation if i knew that i could just get an assistant to do the creation for me and i thought that was very weird because 
I mean, could you say the same thing about sex? That I would still enjoy sex if I just had an assistant to do the sex for me? <laughs> uh, I mean, I couldn't. Some some people can. I don't want to kink shame, but uh, <laughs> fair enough. That, that's that's not that's not how I do it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, it is interesting. Um, I think I could still enjoy creation if I knew that I could just maybe what he's saying. And I again, context matters here. Um, I can't remember. Maybe he's saying that it doesn't matter if someone else can do it. The fact that I'm doing it makes me able to enjoy it. Like you know, like we talked about the difference between like uh, whatever snapping your fingers and living in a new house versus building one, you know? Oh, oh. So he's saying even though someone else could just snap their fingers and do it, I still enjoy the process of doing it. I think that's it, yeah. Oh, God, okay. That is exactly what I feel, too. I just completely misread that sentence because I'm a big old dummy. No, it's confusing because the one before that, and I'm not sure if my reading is correct, he says, I'm coming around to Valencia's way of thinking that life is in the living and you shouldn't be just be doing things because they're hard. And so then he goes on to say what you said. And I'm like, okay, so it sure sounds like he's saying creation is hard. And I, you know, I shouldn't be doing it, you know, just because it's hard. Yeah. Um, I think it would still be worthwhile. And heck, we could do a split heaven where you can have all the anime or movies you want. And I could still toil away at my games and novels. Having the assistants, having the assistants mediate with preference clusters might get annoying, but shrug. I feel like it's been a long time coming. Uh, okay, I see. Because right now they're living in a heaven, a mid-level heaven, where people can't just snap their fingers and get, you know, bespoke art that uh, that is just for them. Like they can't dolly things in that mid-level heaven. <laughs> and uh, he's saying that you know what? Even if I lived in a place where you could dolly anything that you wanted, I would still take pleasure out of making it, even no, even though I know that I could dolly it instead. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. So. Dolly for the uninitiated is a an AI that you give it a prompt like I want underwater astronaut cats and it gives you pictures of it. Yeah, Um, it's really cool. It has some limitations still, but obviously far future Dolly will not. And I mean, so do people though. You know, it's crazy. It's true. It's it's for what you know the things the things it can't do. You know, are are instructive and interesting, but it's like let's not lose sight of all the crazy shit it can do. What's funny is like that is bespoke art just for you, right? Yes, and it's available to Muggles on Earth now for free. Um, Not Uh, everybody all the time because you need to sign up for like a wait list and stuff. But yeah, it's it's a few months away from being available to everybody all the time. But I really hope so. What's funny is I don't think it was when uh, this was written. This even this chapter just a few months ago. Uh, this chapter was like a year ago or so. Oh yeah. He finished not long after we started the, the, the show. Yeah. I think we were like three or four months in when, when he finished. Okay. Yeah. Still though. So, you know, eight months later we get an AI that can yeah. do the thing that is only possible in the high heavens. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it can't, it can't I, write the perfect book for you yet, but right. you know, we're Eventually. getting there. Yeah. I'm really curious as to what Chuck Tingle covers are going to look like once he, he gets access to Dolly. Uh, they're going to be thought-provoking frankly I, he should just do a, a picture book you know there could be so many good options <laughs> yeah oh man someone should create a uh, picture book of chuck tingle covers there you like, go. i mean right now they're basically stock photos of a model and then the, you know they have like a toaster uh photoshopped onto it real crudely like it, it's it's not fancy but it's it's enough to to get the job done you know i look forward to seeing what the advanced art like this can look like yeah so they want to have kids, the Fens and uh, June. And the question is like, 
Well, raising kids is hard. We want to just have our, our thespians do it. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they consider but dismiss the idea, right? Um, yeah. But then it kind of raises the question of like, well, why not? Right? Yeah. The What they said, uh, I think it was June that said this. Maybe I don't know if it was June or Finn, but you can have a spian take care of your kids. But if you're going to do that, why even bother? And I was confused by that because I was like, "What? How? How is that different from creation?" And now I understood that I read that backwards. So yes, I am on the same page as them with everything. Because yeah, why? If you're going to have someone else do the work for you, why even bother going through that process? Is he saying like no? the whole point? He's of- doing a juniper. Ah, so he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole point of having kids is raising the kids. Yeah, so I think that's that. The fun part is, you know, it, it's not like being handed delivered a successful well-adjusted 20 year old right right i could go out to anywhere well i was about to say i could go out to any bar and find that but that's a lie i, I don't think there's any well-adjusted human anywhere on earth well there's certainly not a well-adjusted 20 year old at a bar because um, <laughs> they're Especially drinking underage because, exactly so you'd be yeah. meaning criminal scum but oh man <laughs> Yeah, the uh, yeah, I think so. That's, that's they're the pirating TV shows when they aren't drinking. Oh, geez, those animals. Mm-hmm. All right, so they're th- it's this is fun. It was just a cute thing. Um, they you know, it, it was nice to see that Ellen existed, I forgot, and get like some some niceness there. Um, mm-hmm. apparently, I think it says something about how his, his adopted parents were nice. Um, yeah, so hey, he got a happy ending too. And we find out that Fen is the best mom ever, which is awesome. What's really funny is I was going to be like, well, hold on. Like, let's not, you know, break your, break your arm, patting yourself on the back there. Um, right. And then she had said, uh, let me see here. Um, all right. Well, there, there's a couple things. One, they were like, well, you know, having kids, what if it's hard? What if we fuck up? And they're like talking back and forth. Well, it's simple. We blame Juniper. Ah, Fuck, yeah. we're brilliant. He'll never know what hit him. Uh, <laughs> right. But so when she's like, oh, we're the best moms ever. I'm like, all you did was like hug your kid. Like, I get it. Like, that's huge. And you deserve props because this is a big, you know, kind of a giant thing that you were carrying around. But mm. then she went about to learn whatever Blurns Ball the hard way. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that actually is awesome. You know? Yeah. And, you know, just the fact that she even cared enough to learn like the the game is is tight. So, yeah. High five. She's cool. Uh, I do like how this ends because they're. Like, well, we'll need to get to a different heaven if we're going to have room for kids, huh? Well, shit, we're going to have to pay for movers. Um, hmm. You know, like, we can't carry all this stuff. Oh, but how are we going to pay the movers? And narrator, well, I'll have to look over the budget. We might have to cut back on those well-oiled men. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a limit, man. Yeah. At what cost? Right? Yay. What's the point of living at that point? Happy ending for everybody. Hell yeah. I loved it. All right. Chapter 253, Multitudes, where you do indeed get your Bethel chapter. Yay. I got a question about the Junipers. Okay. Which Junipers? Uh, the narrator specifically. But like, I get why our Juniper existed. He was the mm-hmm. protagonist of our story. Mm-hmm. Other side Juniper is like, here's this cool idea I had. I get that. Mm-hmm. Narrator yeah. Juniper was the one, I guess, writing worth the candle? Apparently. Okay. I, was just, I, I guess I was trying to make sure. I understood. So that, that's actually really fun. You know, they needed the one June off doing stuff, but they also wanted him writing the book. And they they toyed with the idea in story about like, yeah, maybe the DM is pausing the universe having me write this shit down and then erasing mm-hmm. the memory of it. Um, mm-hmm. He's like, no, why would I do that? I can just have another version of you write down everything, right? Right. And he'll write it down in your own voice. It's perfect. Yeah. Okay. Because he is you. Yeah. 
I was trying to remember, like, I was trying to figure out for a second, like, why the narrator, but now I get it. Yeah. Okay. Bethel. She has yes. to ask, you know, what is my purpose? And she doesn't, she's not content yeah. with passing butter. So. <laughs> I, was, I was literally thinking that when you said, what is my purpose? <laughs> that is how deeply ingrained that show is in, in everybody's mind. That's cool. That joke is just killer. It's, it is. It's from Rick and Morty. He makes a, a robot because like the butter is across the table at dinner. And yeah. it like it, he, he's like, what is my purpose? You pass butter and he goes to get it. And then just later on, like at dinner, it's like still like the before the credits roll or whatever. Mm. And it, or like before the opening scene. And it's like, what else? You know, I think he says, like, what is my purpose? And he's, oh, no, he, he makes him and he says, pass me the butter. And then later, he's like, oh, what, is, right. what is my purpose? He's like, pass butter. And he like, kind of looks at his hands. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Welcome <laughs> to the club, pal. <laughs> It's such a cool scene, like in part because it just acknowledges that like our purpose is to pass on our genes. <laughs> and that's as as equally fulfilling as passing the butter being your purpose, right? At least you get to have sex. That sure. It's that there is that. Yeah, luckily I was nice sex enough to throw us a pass- bone there. <laughs> yeah. But having sex doesn't actually pass on your genes. Well, having it's successful I mean, I guess what your genes would call successful sex does, right? Yeah, that's how I, that's, I mean, sex education is everything I hoped it could be, but I thought that's where babies came from. It's where most babies come from. It it used to be a requirement for uh, for baby making, but we don't have sex to pass on our genes. Oh, yeah. We're adaptation executioners, not fitness maximizers. Exactly. Anyways, we are getting far afield here. Well, you know, this this psychology talk is important because Bethel's trying to figure out who she is. And that's, you know, that's deep, deep business for anybody. It is. I think this is the chapter that I took the most notes on. Um, yeah, there's lots to talk about. It's because it, it's fun. This this is more like you know Bethel's circumstances are unique, obviously, but this is stuff everyone has to deal with. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, not, not a lot of us have fence problems. Um, you know, from the last chapter, so it goes by fast. <laughs> yeah. The yeah the the one of the things that is a problem for her is that all the special abilities that she had aren't really special anymore. Like anyone can do them now. Uh, she, she is. Um, disallowed from speeding up time for other people uh, because it's not possible for anybody to speed up time in the heavens. The authority decided that that would result in a race to the bottom and just made it uh, not doable. And I think that's a really good policy. And I agree with the authority. Thumbs up for me. I I agree. The, the only major downside is that you can't do a long deep dive without ignoring your friends for the duration of it, which might be incentive not to do deep dives, which is pro- maybe the point. Mm, um, and you can have like whatever thespian point. clones fulfill your social obligations or whatever but like yeah. fuck it's heaven like you don't have social obligations you don't want right 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 so uh i mean i guess maybe if you're the kind of person who likes bureaucratic stuff you know she doesn't want to go to whatever her hoa meeting the not the hoa you know what i mean the the save the people meeting um oh right but Raven. yeah but you know she she might send the thespian instead like that that kind of makes sense but um yeah no it's uh i guess it is a bummer that it makes the deep dives harder but it doesn't take them off the I, table. It's not like you won't yeah. be able to see your friends in two years when you're done role playing Middle Earth. So right, yeah. And I think it would be yeah, it would be weird if you could do that. Also, how much how much would you be incentivized then just to like live as much life as possible while no time is passing? I don't know. It doesn't matter because you have infinite time. Yeah, good policy still. Yeah, I agree. You know, you don't want to just take to go home for hanging out with your friends and then spend you know one thousand years in Arab and then go watch dinner, you know, with, with another friend or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's nice that there's some sort of 
whatever one-to-one time there um especially because like your memory of them would fade over however many years you're gone but their memory doesn't change at all since you know you cheated and left time and came back and that would that would create a disconnect in like lived experience and it, it would be like that episode of the orville where you know seven years ago um commander grayson came back and th- they were different people at that point and it didn't work anymore i like i remember everyone's names i can't remember any of their names even the captain uh, i just recently saw that episode so oh, nice. that's why i remember yeah. that one that was the end of season two yeah yeah that was fun anyway yeah no I, you're you're right i mean you could change your brain so a thousand years wouldn't feel like that long but then you're like just this different person it, it would be like the gap between uther and june but yeah if uther was 4500 years old instead like it it just it changes everything yeah right okay. where were we the powers where were we the powers yes uh we're irrelevant uh the quote here is it was everything else that mattered the pieces of her mind the thoughts that she was inclined to think and who or what she valued and this just it felt a little bit wrong that the idea is what matters is just what she thinks and what she values because i think that it still matters what you can do for others since that's the main thing that matters in real life too, it, it feels like that's still what would matter in heaven. It's just that the big change is what you can do for others is drastically altered. Like you can no longer do provide material support. Uh, you can no longer be their house or whatever, since they, they can have whatever house they want. It's, it's now entirely like the only thing you can do for others is emotional and social labor. You can no longer do physical labor for other people. Yeah. Is that correct? Um, I mean, I think you, I mean, unless they wanted to, you know, you wanted to build a shed for them and they wanted you to build a shed for them, right? Like you can do physical labor for them, but like it's completely voluntary. Uh, Right. You know, I guess Jorge is like woodworking, right? And is it just us being from Meet Space Earth where like if I was friends with Jorge and he gave me a wooden chair that he made, I would like, I would like it more than if he snapped his fingers and gave me an identical one? No, I think that's because... Like snapping your fingers or or just buying something if you have a whole lot of money, it, it means you didn't invest a lot of your time into it. Whereas uh, making your own chair from wood is a big investment of time. And I mean, in in our real life where we have limited time to live, a big investment of time is a, you know, someone is giving you a chunk of their life. But even in, you know, even when you're immortal, you can't experience everything all the time. Giving someone a chunk of your life is still it's still meaningful even if the limit has been lifted you know yeah no i think you're it's, right there's there's other things they could have been doing in there in that time that they weren't yeah that, that makes perfect sense i i think that explains it i mean it, it's it it signals this meant enough to me to do it the long way you know yeah yeah all right so yeah the cool thing is like she loses her you know really dangerous powers and then everyone else has all of her other powers and so like the mm-hmm. thing that made her you know unique and dangerous is gone yeah. and so and then she's coming to terms with i think she knows this subconsciously but it's not until june shows up and tells her that like no one needs a house anymore like yeah you know you, you pass butter and no one even wants butter anymore like right. so you need to Aww. figure out you need to figure out what else you want to do um mm-hmm. so what is she saying that it was everything else that mattered the pieces of her mind the thoughts that she was inclined to think and who or what she valued um i think that yeah uh, you know impacting other people is still super important i think maybe this she's thinking as far as building blocks, like okay. for who she wants to be, right? Yeah. So because 
you know, the powers aren't a factor anymore. She's like, okay, it's other stuff. And you're right. Other people should factor into that, but maybe she's working from first principles, just her first. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that is basically my thought on it. Yeah, I guess so. It's, I mean, I think it almost feels a little too inward focused, but on the other hand, you don't want to ignore yourself either and end up committing to doing things for people that actually make you miserable. So yeah, she's got, she's got a lot of figuring out to do, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely inward focused, but I think that she's, I think she's trying to start from scratch and that then that's yeah. the, really the only starting point, unless they're going to start from another extreme, which is what other people need. I'll just be that. Right. 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 But other people don't need anything from you. So you're like, okay, what do I want to be then? And then I'll provide that to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, she says that the, um, the relationships to the pieces of her mind was different for, for Bethel than for other people, because, you know, like we have our, our past and our personality and our whatever baggage and our mm -hmm. joys and hopes. She has like loyal recurve, the, you know, Soskana, the diadem of focused intent or the eternal golden braid. Aww. I was like, oh, Ropey. I forgot about Ropey. We'll never forget you again, Ropey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Ropey. I wonder if he can get resurrected. I, I was thinking about that. Why doesn't he get to go to heaven? Maybe nobody asked to resurrect him. Maybe this is or all it? he would want. Um, I, I mean, do people maybe. need rope anymore? Did he like being a rope the way that Bethel likes being a house? Or was he just a rope? Like, was he... Was he was he a rope or did he like being a rope? Right. <laughs> right. Huh. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I wish we could ask him, but, but it doesn't Bethel sound like anyone's him. resurrected him. <laughs> I mean, maybe someone has and we just didn't get that chapter. It's lit. You know, it's heaven. He's out there somewhere. He might be. All right. <laughs> um, there, there is an assertion made by uh, other side June here which I think is really cool like he talks about foyers and what they're for and how they relate to houses and like it's it's good shit this is the sort of thing that we read Alexander Wales for right like he's always thinking about these sorts of things and including them in, in his world and then like sometimes even telling us directly and we're like oh that's awesome anyways uh, one of the things June says that if you took a person just a person you could discover his entire society the entire geography possibly from his body alone and like while i like that sentiment i think that might be overstating the uh the the case a bit because i mean i i guess for poetic intent it's just fine and i don't know why i'm being well actually guy here but like could someone figure out if i was red or blue or gray based like just on my body maybe you mean politics yeah yeah i mean if they could see the Bill Great, if they could see Bill Gates's brain Wi-Fi chip, I mean the COVID vaccine <laughs> coursing through your brain, then they can make an informed guess as to your politics, right? They throw in like some chemical some... analysis to see that you've taken psych psychedelics. Um, they, you know, whatever, look at mm, the impossible to exercise. see, yeah, patterns of exercise, the impossible to see, like compressions to your skeleton from like having a gun on your hip for ten years or whatever. Like if you don't have mm. that, then you know, I, I think with like. The way that I like to think about some stuff like this is like, rather than just like think of how would I do it or whatever, um, mm -hmm. I'd be like, all right, could God do this without breaking the laws of physics, right? I think, I mean, I think a good guess is, could be made. I'm not sure if you could discover like an entire society based on one person's body. No, Come but you can get some me. ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. D June's, I think he's definitely putting in some, uh, 
imagination into it, which is just something I think that he can't not do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, June could look at a body, see stuff that's definitely there, and then extrapolate a world from it, right? Right. Um, He's going to be like, I can see from the scratches on the bottom of your phone uh, near the jack that you must be an alcoholic because you're s- struggling to put it in. Right. It's not, that you, it's not just that you're, you know, uncoordinated. It's because you're a drunk. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, you know, I like it so much that it's cool to overstate the case for poetic intent. Yeah. And I, I do think that you could do a lot because like that, they do talk about like, you know, geography, probably ecosystem, probably. You know, mm-hmm. are they covered in sunburns? You know, what kind of whatever skin material hide do they have? You know, yeah. can they breathe water? Um, you know, oh, you can what, tell a lot. What's the contents of their what, stomach? You know, yeah, you can tell a lot of by of what a person's environment is like by um, analyzing their hair. I've heard because all that shit gets put into your hair as it grows out. Yeah, I mean, so I think there's a lot to take in. Um, that said, you know, if you went to another planet. It it takes some hard training to just grab an alien skeleton and piece together shit. Um, yeah, yeah. But it wouldn't be maybe impossible. You know, might be might be really easy to see if something died by violence. And if you keep finding mm-hmm. skeletons like that, you're like, okay, uh, these things probably eat meat. Um, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> so people killed or things killed these things and presumably ate them, right? Mm-hmm. I guess you could probably tell if whatever bodies have been eaten. So if you found a body inside of another body, right, or a skeleton inside of, inside of a bigger skeleton, yeah, but People generally don't eat bones. I'm picturing dinosaurs. Okay. 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 Yeah. Like big alien monsters. And All what right. kind of big Just, alien monster would you be if you didn't eat your enemy whole, eat, eat your prey in one big bite, you know? <laughs> I see. Yeah. A, a really big monster then. Yeah. Gigantic. Cool. Cool. <laughs> uh, so speaking of interesting things that Alexander Wales does, uh, other side, Juniper stares at Bethel with cold eyes. And like, that's not the only time it's, it's pointed out. And I, I mean, I really wanted to know if Other Side Juniper is like this with everyone or just Bethel or maybe just strangers. And then I was like, damn it, write more about Other Side <laughs> Juniper, Alexander Wales. I want to know more. And it just he always gets me coming back. It's awesome. I don't think he was mentioned to be like this at all when June met him in that bar. Um, yeah. They didn't mention this when they were playing uh, God something. Um uh, well, we didn't get to see thins. him at all while they were playing the gods game. Yeah, yeah, but like Bethel's the only person that remarked on this, and yeah. I'm wondering the whole time is she just reading into it? Like, is he just looking at her oh. and she's like, "Oh, he's giving me angry eyes because he knows he hates me." Like, yeah, I think that she might have some, you know, associations with any juniper, right? And she's like, "Fuck, he hates me for sure," and you know, he's yeah. right to hate me. I suck. Like all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I. I don't know if, if I'm reading it to her now or if, uh, you know, that's how it shook out. But he acts perfectly nice. Yeah. Like, none, none of his behavior, it, like, is consistent with him giving her, you know, the evil eye. Right. Yeah. I think she's reading negative motion where there isn't any. That could be. So, Juniper and Bethel are talking about basically existence as a physical being uh he's he's specifically speaking about how language arises from biology and relevant concepts embedded uh based on you know the material world around you and he says all of it has changed now but the people are still there free from their tethers their shadows free from the light which created them and still casting shadows of their own uh things like you know maybe the fact that people like to live in houses with walls and roofs is 
left over from the fact that there used to be elements that you had to be protected from. Uh, so even though there aren't anymore, there's still that liking left uh, behind in you. Um, and he, he even says later, there's absolutely no need to worry about material process labor or even the other constraints of physical reality. There's no need to worry about biological reality. And I hadn't thought about that until he actually said it out loud like that. Um, combined with Val's earlier assertion in, in the previous chapter that people continue to change, which, I mean, obviously people are always going to change as long as time passes, which, by the way, fuck time. Um, <laughs> Wait, <laughs> it, actually, this, let me put a pin in there. Oh, I, I, sorry, because I, yeah, yeah. I don't all forget. In, mm-hmm. in your fuck time position against the universe, do you mm-hmm. not like character growth? I guess character growth, in a way, is the death of somebody else who didn't grow, right? Yes. But don't you like I, who you are now the more, more than you liked who you were, you know, half your life ago i feel bad that that person isn't there anymore yeah he's kind of which, there. he's there in your memories but mm, that's not enough there to do stuff maybe yeah it's it's weird i realize we can't exist without time and that all the things i love are you know due to time as well it's it's one of those things that like sucks as well as as is awesome i, I find myself kind of wishing i could just experience all of time all the time but Dr. Manhattan style. (laughs) Yeah, but that's stupid hippie bullshit that doesn't actually happen in real life. If you do get, you know, if we get to our post-human or our trans-human, whatever, post-utopia future, uh, if you go on a deep dive of being Dr. Manhattan, let me know what that was like. Oh, hell yeah. You don't even necessarily do a deep dive, actually. Maybe I'll just try it for like two minutes and that's all it takes. Right, because you'll have experienced every all of it. Yeah. Whoa. Very cool. So sorry, we were talking about uh, Val's assertion that people change over time. Yeah, people change over time. And now that there's heavens, people are no longer constrained by bodies or or reality or anything. Uh, And that implies that as people change without the context of what made them recognizably human uh, back when they were human, they're going to drift further and further from what we recognize as human. Like, I don't know how many millennia or eons from now this might take, but eventually there might just be thinking things, interacting and doing stuff that don't even look the slightest bit human or what we think of as humans with human thoughts and emotions at all, because they're so divorced from everything that, you know, forced us to become what we are, which I don't know. It's an interesting thought that eventually immortal humans will go to extinction anyway because what they'll have turned into is not the least bit human anymore that's interesting yeah you know i think you're onto something there i don't know there will probably be remnants of whatever recognizable humans i was gonna it say might forever be just a- but you know some record some memory that's and memory isn't lost you know like it is now right the uh, one last holdout dwarf stronghold <laughs> that has stuck to the old ways it could be i mean i was trying to think of like whatever, define human nature, give three examples, um, mm-hmm. and then see if any of those could survive a thousand years in heaven. But, you know, just the idea of like houses, you know, I, yeah. I don't know if houses are human nature, but they're human universal, right? Mm-hmm. More or less when they're available. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's mainly because like, so I look at like mine and it's because it keeps the bugs out and the cold or the hot, depending on the weather. Yeah. So it keeps the bugs and the elements out. And then it's like a place for my stuff. And mm-hmm. half my stuff probably is stuff I need because, like, I'll die without it, like food. And I was going to say a bed. I, would, I wouldn't die without it, but I, life wouldn't be worth living. Um, you'd, exactly. You'd want to. Right. And then the other half is, like, you know, toys and shit, right? Yeah. TV, all that. So, you know, if I could just 
have all the stuff I wanted, you know, summon a TV at will and then disappear it at will. I wouldn't need to have one. Um, if I could just make my body the kind that would be comfortable to sleep outside or make outside comfortable to sleep on, mm. like I wouldn't need a house, you know, eventually uh, you might not need an outside or a body. I mean, I'd want something, you know, it, just to put it, you know, in the barest human nature of terms, what else would I have sex with? You know? Right, right. I need, I need something, uh, but you know, just, just these two diodes, you just press this button and that's how you have sex with it. Um, or maybe you have much more complicated sex that involves spiritual permutations that we can't even imagine. Yeah. As long as it works. Dude, dude like eventually the high heavens might be filled with, you know, angel type creatures that we don't recognize. And the, the only, the only humanoids left are on the low heavens where there's physics and shit. I can dig it. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but cool. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of stuff would fall apart. Um, but I think letting it fall apart, I was going to say organically, but whatever organically means in this kind of reality, um, mm -hmm. I think that's a much better state of affairs than just like getting rid of it. Um, you know what I mean? Than getting rid of what? Uh, all the stuff that would dissolve over the next ten thousand years of of being in heaven. Oh yeah, definitely. Don't just cut to the chase. That'd be lame. Yeah. The, yeah there's something. The, the, yeah. Walking the process the is the fun part. Yeah. What was that? Sorry. The process is the fun part. Yeah. The real friends are the, or the real, the real, uh, journey is <laughs> the, the real... friends we made along the way. Right. Okay. And so like, you can't do that if you just skip to the end, I guess you could just arrive with your friends, but you know, yeah. who are you people? But then How'd they you wouldn't be house? friends. They'd, they'd yeah. be a bunch of strangers. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Uh, one thing that June, uh, other side June does say, which kind of bugged me was that he's told June, you need to find your purpose first before you can decide what kind of home you are. And it just kind of wrong footed me because it, it felt a lot like telling kids they need to decide <laughs> what they'll be when they grow up. Like they, you don't need to find your purpose before you decide what you're going to be. You just look around at what's needed and then match what's needed with what you can or want to fulfill. You know, she found the, uh, the burden of the heavens, like. Nothing is needed from you, right? I mean, nothing's needed for survival, sure, but people still have. It seems uh, they still have emotional and social needs. I suppose so. I mean, you know, Raven's satisfying her emotional and some of her social needs through her thespian uh, uh, assistant, and we're not we're, we're not faulting her for that because you know it's working. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so people might not need other people for emotional support either. You know, love probably. But I think you can't just be like, I'm going to be the person who loves people. Like you need to know who you, who you are to know that, you know, who you're going to best jam with, you know? I, there was that, the, that lizard person who told an assistant, I, you know, bring me to someone that I can help with my penis. And that worked out. Yeah. But at least he curtailed down the search space to people that he could help, you know, in that very specific dimension. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't just like, point me at somebody who needs love, which I guess is kind of exactly what it is. Um, <laughs> For the more physical versions of love. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I think that to me, I, I, I'm taking more of this whole Bethel chapter as like, you're right. Cause like when you tell kids, like, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, I don't know. I'm 10 and yeah. like, I don't know. I'm 18. Like, why are you making me pick now? Well, cause high school is over. Fuck you. Um, so no, you, I, you just I do, you do whatever way. comes up and then keep doing that until you retire, you know? Yeah, I'm, I kind of feel that way about Juniper saying you have to find your purpose first to, to Bethel. Like, no, she doesn't. 
go go do your thing and you will discover your purpose through a process of you know trial and error and and adjustment i think that's one way to do it is trial and error and adjustment and when i when i said uh you know for now when you're 18 just do what you need to and then keep doing that till you retire i mean like keep changing to do whatever you need slash want to do don't necessarily stick with the first thing yeah right just jump around don't feel committed to doing anything either you know i've been doing this for six years who cares do something else if you like it you know um but you know i think you're right like find your purpose to kids doesn't make sense now but i think it might if again like what what is beth what problems is she going to go out and do or like go out and solve what is she going to do to you know make the world a better place like she's she's what by the end i think she decides she's providing a nurturing environment for people who want that right i think that's part of it but she is going to be the kind of person who's okay with just doing that right like you know a nurturing environment is different than a house because no one needs that like she might she might be doing more i'm not quite sure um i guess i'm trying to think is like uh you know if your if your ability to do stuff is obsolete you're like okay well then who do i want to be like what 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 sort of person do i want to become like i think that does become the you know if like you know you tell kids like find your purpose or you know pick your future i think that that question is pointless now because you're putting a lot of you know burden on an impossible question but mm-hmm. if you had nothing more pressing because you don't need a job you know then then you do have time to answer that question yeah i uh, i think i'm kind of torn you know i think it's one of those things that you don't sit down in a chair and think through to find it's something you go out and do to find I agree. I, I think, especially for us, you know, as people, um, yeah, Bella's in a unique circumstance, right? Yeah, but I think she's far more like a person than like a house because <laughs> houses don't talk. She's written, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, you're right, but like that's always what she wanted, and like that's not what any human really wants, you know. Um, yeah, maybe some humans want to be pregnant or something that could be like the closest thing, um, mm-hmm. but. I think I it's, there might be a human that wants to be a house. Don't kink shame. Uh, you, you know, <laughs> don't, I don't want to put anyone down, but it's not something yeah. that is, uh, is neurotypical as far as I know, but right. Right. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I think that what I like about it, especially for her character though, is because she doesn't like who she is and she, she's been struggling with that since she became capable of admitting it. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not happy. Um, she, you know, it's not clear exactly how far she came in the years that June was gone, but like, she did pretty well. You know, she mostly got over her vengeance lust and all that stuff. Um, but you know, she wasn't a happy, fulfilled person. And so I think she's like, okay, if I'm going to be happy and fulfilled, like, and I want to be, you know, it's heaven. I got the time. Like Mm -hmm. I need to, I need to change who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a, that's the, uh, the big, um, that's the big ask. That's what June's saying. When he, he says, you need to find your purpose. Cause it's like, all right, you actually are in a position where you you're best served by going back to the drawing board and drawing board and not rewriting yourself from scratch exactly, but you know, workshopping it, you know, I, I guess I just think a better way to workshop it is to try it because her problem right now is that she literally doesn't know a lot of things. And I don't think she can reason herself into knowing. I think she has to experiment to find out. Or she can ask her smart friends, which I think is the the takeaway one of the takeaways maybe for her. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll give it some thought. Yeah. Or we'll do, give it some experimentation. I like it. <laughs> June says, uh, the terrible thing about the heavens is that if we're miserable in them, it's our own fault. 
And I, I'm doing the whole, you know, is this a butterfly meme with is this victim blaming? Because kind of sounds like you're, you're blaming people who aren't happy in the heavens as they are for, for not being happy in the heavens when maybe, you know, the heavens just aren't that great for everybody. Well, I mean, I think definitionally with these heavens, like they are great for everybody. And I don't think that's true. You what? I don't think that's true. Uh, let me let me think about it. You're right, because it's not great for Grack's dad, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's great not being dead. Uh, sure. I mean, great I'm great enough. I guess he, he consented to being not dead. But uh, I wonder, like, there's something... At the end of the day, you can always just say, make me happy, and it just happens, you know? So mm. in that sense, it's it's like... Hey, we have the perfect antidepressant. It's here in this pill. Do you want it? No. Okay. Well, then politely, you're choosing to be unhappy. You know. Now that said, you're also choosing not to change who you are at like a fundamental level, right? Yeah. It's, maybe that's more important to you than happiness, and that's fine. But that also is kind of like your choice. I guess. I don't know. That, that that's coming off more ultimatumy than I meant for it to. I mean, it feels a lot like you know saying. If you didn't want to be burned at the stake, all you had to do was convert to Christianity, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, technically that's true, but fuck you anyway. I mean, except for this this stake, being burnt at the stake here is being made actually happy, right? Well. Like, minus whatever someone's put, philosophical objections to happiness are. It, it's being put in a place that um, may be antithetical to your values. Yeah. And I think it would be nice to acknowledge that for some people, these heavens aren't aren't ideal and are maybe even worse than what they came from, but that is an acceptable cost for the overwhelming majority of, of living things to be much happier than they were. I can see the point. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, some people would be made worse off because they can't like, I don't know, engage in the, the terrible things that they love doing so much, you know? Um, well, what's his name that, couldn't torture the guy that fucked him over somehow. Well, the thing is, he gets to keep tor- he gets to torture that guy, right? Not he, really. He gets to torture, he gets the to fake torture a thespian. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah he knows right. that it's a fake version. Yeah, and, and they're not going to indulge him by giving him the real one. So yeah, yeah. So it th- that's shittier for him. But on the other hand, you know, oh well, I guess suck it up because almost everyone else is happier. It's like uh, it's like Dobby. If most house elves may be extremely happy in their lives, and it sucks for Dobby that he's this mutant freak that doesn't enjoy the things everyone else enjoys but also you know i'm sorry man that sucks but we're not going to destroy all of how selfish society because you're unhappy (laughs) that's a good analogy i don't know i think i i still sort of get where june's coming from maybe i'm just reading it like not maybe i'm not actually reading what he's saying and therefore missing the point but i'm taking like the like another kind of angle with it was just maybe more at the first point of like you know you need to decide what you want to do i think it's I think what he's what what's trying to come through here is like you need to like you actually need to make the decision for something or you can't make progress towards being less miserable or doing what you want. Right. And you actually have to decide it rather than like letting circumstances dictate it because there are no six there are no circumstances to dictate what you need to do because everyone has everything they need. So it's not like yeah. oh, I better like hurry up and get rent money. You know, like, no, that's right. no, you're good. You know, that's not a problem. You 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 are faced with the ultimate burden of having to decide what you want to do. You know, I guess it's fair as as a way to motivate people to be more happy. It works that, you know, if you're miserable here, it's your own fault is it's a great way 
it's an okay way to get people to start working on not being as miserable and, you know, maybe modifying themselves if they have to do that. Yeah. But I, I to, you know, to take your, uh, your house off example, I, I think that's, that's well received. Like, I don't, I, I don't want to say that like, well, you know, the society woke up and like everyone loves cleaning socks. Like, you know, you can, but you can press this button to become a person who loves cleaning socks. It's your fault. You don't want to press it. Like mm-hmm. that's, that, that is a weird and uh, whatever murdery situation. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So luckily at the very least what's on the table here is like what seems to be like genuine happiness, not like lobotomy happiness. Like if you wanted to become a house elf. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I I'm, I'm just trying to look at it from the, the point of view of someone who really does not like this sort of society at all and is being told, you know, you suck and the society is objectively great. Fair. <laughs> um, Even though, you know, the society is much better than what we have on earth, I think. Yeah, but it's it's got its own unique set of problems, you know. Yeah, yeah. You you can't Nothing pass the perfect. buck of your uh, like. Well, I couldn't figure out what to do, or I got too busy. You know, like all all like oh, there's a lot more autonomy, mm-hmm. and that has its pros and cons. Yeah, um, yeah. So, other side, June makes the assertion that in general terms, the lesson of June's time on Arab is that we cannot let the bad taint the good. We cannot eternally hang on to misery. Uh, which was a interesting take. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I don't know though. Is this the lesson that you got out of Worth the Candle, or or is this a case where you know the lesson June is learning is not the same lesson that readers are learning? Could be two different things. I hope every reader can identify with like the core thing June was struggling with. Um, yeah. So you know, but that's popular anyway. So people are getting other stuff out of it, and there's a lot of other stuff to enjoy. You know, lessons aside, even right, like. Yeah, there's yeah. a great kind of exploration of this in the next chapter, but like maybe the point isn't to get a lesson. And if you get one by accident, you know, that's just cool collateral damage. Um, yeah. And the point was to have fun. Uh, I think it's definitely possible that like June and uh, Bethel need different lessons. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that does seem like a not that bad distillation of what June learned. You know, that plus just like, I guess we cannot eternally hang on to misery. I was going to say one of the lessons he learned is like, you know, how to let go of, of stuff but you know arthur wasn't necessarily misery and he didn't like let go of like everything about his memory of him or anything like that it was just like you know you can stop suffering from it but you can hold on to the good stuff you know i think we cannot eternally hang on to misery it may just be a really nice poetic say of way of saying you got to learn to let go of stuff i think so and you know yeah. the, the thing is you can you can you can let go of the misery part and hold on to the rest you know like yeah. This is a softer example than, you know, Arthur, but like, and it's, it's still sad though. Like I, we, we had a cat several years ago and she got sick and died tragically. It sucked. And it took us years, three or four to get maybe five to get another cat. Um, mm-hmm. And the the thing is like, you know, you come home and anyone who's ever lost a pet gets to do this. They get to pick up the food bowl and like mm-hmm. all the sad shit, you know? Yeah, and then every time you think of it, there's like this this pang of loss. But as time goes on, it, you're able to kind of like let go of that 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 pain, but still be able to look back and be like, oh yeah, that was nice, you know. Yeah. Not of course yeah. the day that they died or whatever, but the rest of it. Right. And so I think that's the thing is like, uh, you you get to, you know, so I guess let, letting go of stuff, you, you can let go of some of the stuff, but you don't have to like drop everything, right? You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, that's the that's what I was trying to get out. Okay.
Wasn't there also um, that time that Amarillo said something along the lines of like, you just got to get up, say that sucked and dust yourself off and keep going. There was something like that. that sounds vaguely familiar. Um, was it Amaryllis she said that? I can't remember. I mean... Oh, it was Raven. Was At it- some point, you have to say that tomorrow... We put uh, like five quotes at the bottom of the note stock. Raven says, At some point, you have to say that tomorrow is a new day. Feel bad about it because it was bad. And then move on and stop letting it define you. Right. Yeah. Solid. Good times. That's a good lesson. I think the other lesson, and this is more what I think Bethel takes from the end of this, but it's okay to lean on your friends. You know? Yeah. If, uh, if you don't know what to do, but you do, you know trust people that you know around you you can say hey what do you think yeah and maybe actually take their advice that's a damn good call um, all right uh june uh, mentions the the uh incident with the other june the rape incident and calls it a mistake and bethel says i don't call it a mistake calling it that takes agency away from me and that just had me stop and think for a while because it seems sort of like a strange idea like does making a mistake reduce one's agency and if so does that mean that you only have full agency while you're flawless (laughs) i think is one fully agentic while flawless is how you put it and i I think that's one of the coolest rationalist sentences i've read in a while um i i guess agency is a tough thing to pin down right um like i i don't want to say you're less agent agent full well okay let me try and get my thoughts through this. Like I can be a full agent and do something with my agency. And it turns out that thing was a mistake to do. Right. Yeah. But then you might be less agent, whatever agentic in the situation than you would have been if you'd been fully informed because then you wouldn't have done the wrong thing. Right. I, yeah. Okay. So there might be something to that where it's like, I wouldn't have messed up if I knew more stuff. Like, so there's something there for that, but I don't quite know if that's where Bethel's going. I think that she's there. There's like, a there's some agency difference to this too but there's also kind of like a category difference between like a whoopsie and a fuck up right like uh you know a whoopsie daisy is oh i thought i clicked the the lock button on the car and i clicked the unlock button so it stayed unlocked you know right a fuck up is like i thought i turned off the stove and it burnt the house down like i guess they're, they're, they're similar levels of actual like the the action is of a similar level of mistake but i guess those are both going to be in the whoopsie daisy category then just one. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, misreading somebody's signals and raping them are definitely in the fuck up category that I think right. he wants to not put in the like, whoops, I forgot to, you know, turn off the thermostat before we went on vacation kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think a fuck up would be more like I decided to do drugs and it really fucked up my, uh, my driving that day and I killed someone which is, you know, Different from whoops, I accidentally tripped and landed in some cocaine and some got up my nose. <laughs> like this one is a whoops, the other is a fuck up because you choose you chose to do the bad thing and you could say it was a mistake to do that, but it wasn't a whoopsie. And so maybe she was trying to say, like, don't try to blur the lines, don't try to make it look like maybe it was a whoopsie when it was a big fuck up that's, kind of thing. That's how I'm reading it. And there is something about, you know, like you're culpable for a fuck up in a way that you weren't for a whoopsie. I'm loving this terminology, by the way. Um, (laughs) like, you know, I don't think it's a moral failing that much anyway to like, whatever, fail to lock your car door or something. Um, Mm -hmm. but it definitely is, you know, if you're, if you hurt somebody, um, you know, drunk driving is a good example of a fuck up. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and so like, I think that if, if she was just, just to put her big life mistake in the category of like, ah, that, that was a whoopsie. Like, 
there's no need to grow from that. Like, I don't need to take a lesson from the fact that, you know, right. I, I'm trying to think of just like more random little things, you know, forgot to plug my phone in last night and it died this morning. Like, you know, maybe I need to be a little more responsible, but like, that's not a huge, uh, indication of my moral character. Yeah. 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 I think that's what she's going right. with there. I think so too. And I understand like her being really protective of her agency, even to this degree, since like that was the major violation that she was repeatedly subjected to. So she wants to be extremely careful to not ever have anything like that uh, even close to happening again. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, maybe she's, you know, flinching into the, or like whatever, firing the, you're taking away my agency gun a little early, but Mm -hmm. She's definitely primed to do that. And it makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. But I think that she's on the right track. Even if she, you know, don't you be tackling my agency, even though he right. wasn't quite going there yet. Yeah. But he was yeah. definitely towing the line by saying, you know, this is just a thing that could happen to anybody. She's like, no, it's not. It was a decision and I fucked up. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Speaking of things that other side June says that are wrong. <laughs> he, he says Trepid- <laughs> trepidation over whether you might hurt other people is virtually well- worthless. And I don't, think that is even slightly right i mean unless the answer to hurting anyone is just like you know if you feel hurt by something edited out of yourself um then maybe that's what he thinks so hurting people is a non-problem for him but uh i like despite all my arguments in favor of soul editing earlier in the soul editing chapters i don't think i would jump to it for every single little hurt and you know I think that some restraint in soul editing is good and therefore uh, some some trepidation in whether you are going to hurt someone or not is good because then either you force them to soul edit to not be hurt or or they're hurt by what you did. You know, I'm trying to think of like, you remember, because like there are weapons. June gave little June that sword. Yeah. You know, what if he had just taken a sword and tried to kill everyone in the house? I don't think that would have worked. Didn't the sword only work on whatever they were well but like all right so he brought a sword that would work on anything to the house like i i guess you know he, he brings an ordinary steel katana like I, I don't think this could hurt things in heaven so that that's what i'm trying to think about like are people just impermeable to damage would like the yeah would the would the tva show up and freeze him and take him to a whatever rehabilitation center um like so at some point somebody tries to punch somebody in the face in heaven and yeah either it doesn't hurt them but, you know, being hit is still scary. Um, having somebody, you know, full, swing a fist at full speed towards your face and like you flinch before it hits you. It's still scary, you know, to have that happen, even even if they stop. I suppose, but it'd probably get less and less scary in the heavens as you, you know, come to realize that it never hurts. Realize that you're invincible. Yeah, you probably would yeah. stop flinching. I guess what I'm saying is like you probably wouldn't let somebody just run around, you know, not not or like not hitting people, but trying to hit people. Like, just because they're a nuisance, you'd probably stop them somehow. Like, the, the authority would step in. Probably. I don't know. Maybe the, author- the authority has, like, some some roadrunner running around whacking <laughs> people with mallets just to get them used to the idea that they can't be hurt by physical objects anymore. Yeah, so there's probably something for it. So, I guess I bring that up because I feel like physical violence is a lot easier to uh, put my finger on than, like, uh, or, like, physical trauma, whatever, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. what, what if... if the heavens have a way of stopping physically hurting people. Do they have a way of stopping emotionally hurting people? And I suspect probably not. There's probably yeah, the impression some, I got. There's probably some safe safety rails on like being emotionally devastated, like, you know, ruined. Um, just like you're not going to be put around people who will do that to you or something. But I mean, that would take away your agency and they're a big fan of that. Um, yeah. 
but I think they wouldn't want you to be suicidally unhappy because whatever, somebody said something terrible to you. I mean, I think it was explicitly stated by, um, by June or the authority or someone that, um, emotional and social stuff is not under their purview that you are, you're physically unharmable without your consent. But, uh, all that other stuff is still important and still going to lead to pain sometimes. Yeah, I think you're right that there's definitely like you could still say the wrong thing to somebody. You know, that said, what would be nice because, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I don't go around hurting that, that you know, I don't go around hurting feelings that often. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the event that I do, I, I, I can't remember the last time I said something, maybe, you know, I said something that I'm not aware of that hurt somebody's feelings, but when it when it happens and it's pointed out to me, it's typically a misunderstanding. Like either I miscommunicated or they misunderstood. And yeah. the cool thing about heaven is like, okay, we can have the the assistants help translate my, you know, shitty vocabulary and inability to articulate my feelings or whatever. And they can translate that in a way that you can, you know, interpret correctly. Right. Right. So they I think it would be kind of cool to have mind reading uh assistants to clear up misunderstandings. Um, that would that would be great. I mean, not all of it's going to be misunderstandings, though. Some of it is just going to be stuff like I'm I'm just not that into you anymore. Totally. Yes, yeah, so I'm just I'm just trying to, and I realize I'm spending a minute on this, but I'm trying to narrow the the space of how Bethel could hurt people. Yeah. And I do think that you know her main concern isn't that she will intentionally hurt someone's feelings. I think that she is, especially just given her history, her main concern is that she's going to hurt somebody physically. And like that, that's not a problem anymore. Yeah. I don't think she's that dumb. She knows she can't hurt anyone physically, but that's, that's, that's a deeply ingrained thing, you know, like, Mm. so I, the thing is, I I guess he's saying it's trepidation, which means that it's active. I thought that was kind of like a, whatever, uh, a group, a a worn in instinct, you know? Yeah. Uh, But yeah, this isn't that this is, this is her actively worrying that she's going to hurt people. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess what would I do if someone said something, you know, like, if someone says something really mean to me, you know, John Mulaney has a good joke about that. Like teenagers suck and they just like can find the one thing that, you know, you don't like about yourself <laughs> and just yeah. yell Eve across the street, like whatever, nice shoulders or something. Ah, oh, man, that's the thing I'm sensitive about. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> I, I think if I had that and Bethel yelled at me across the street, I would just, I would either change my shoulders or change the way I feel about my shoulders. I feel like that's an okay edit to make, right? <laughs> Sure, but you know, what if you and Bethel were dating and after a few years she was like, you know what, I don't really like who you've become anymore. Um, bye. And then she disappears and never talks to you again and you never get a chance to foreclosure, like that would probably hurt you, right? Hmm. Yeah, I would raven my way through a Bethel thespian that I could I would dump her and then I would come out on top. <laughs> um, yeah. Darn tootin'. Yeah. Uh that is that's tough. But I guess maybe she's that level of emotional involvement to hurt somebody, I don't know if she's that worried about either. I I don't know. I think I'm trying to do much mind reading into her specific situation. But the point is, it's like, I think it is really hard to hurt somebody, right? Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that's kind of what he's saying. You know, it's not worthless, but it's, you know, it's way harder to hurt somebody now than it used to be, Bethel. Like, you can take a breath and, like, ease up a bit, you know? You don't have to stop. You can't stop driving completely because you can still hurt somebody. But you can take your eyes off the road for a bit because you're fine. You know? Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Well, June fucking becomes a hardcore badass and gets all my respect back again because he says, I would consent to being tortured if you would like. 
24 hours to strip the skin from my flesh and my flesh from my bones. And he even says he's not going to turn down his pain or erase the memory afterwards. Like, fucking A, man. That That is pimply chadliness. <laughs> I, I salute you, sir. I was kind of weirded out by that offer. I couldn't. I mean, maybe he just likes trying out new stuff. You know, I'm going to be alive for a billion years. Might as well try this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know why he would want, uh, like, why he would offer that, you know, other than like to be helpful. Yeah, but he, he wants to help her. But he just met her. You know, he's looking at her with her interpretation, cold eyes. Like he's a fucking Chad, dude. He's willing to get tortured to help a new stranger that he thinks might be a cool person. Well, that if that's the case, and this is just him, you know, rolling up his sleeves and doing the most intense Mister Rogers work that he can do. Uh, yeah. If this is what you need, I'm happy to give you what you need. Uh, right. Then, hey, more power to him. And then you're right. I guess it just seems like uh, I would have been like, you know, why don't we talk and see if I can help there first? You know, right? maybe talk for a whole I, I, 10 minutes before I let you torch me for 24 hours. You know, I mean, that's why I'm so impressed with this dude. I wouldn't have fucking <laughs> offered that. I, I, the fact that he it was like, you know, so high on his list of like, here's things I can do to help. Just makes me think that maybe he actually wanted to try this. but <laughs> Well, maybe. Yeah. You know, either way, if it's going to help, it's it's a win-win for everybody. Um, That's, see, that, that hadn't occurred to me just because it seems weird to think maybe someone would want that level of torture. But yeah, maybe. Maybe he's got a really intense kink there. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a sexual thing. It could just be like, oh, you know, I'm in heaven. There's no risk of permanent damage. Let's just see what this is like. You know? Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll throw himself into a volcano just to see what that's like, you know? Um, Neat. So I, I found here what Bethel says after June says, you're not going to hurt anyone. Um, yeah. She says, uh, I might. Not in the ways I've hurt them in the past, but my, by making a commitment to them, I cannot keep. That, see? That I might do if I have no solid foundation for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so I can't remember if that was before or after he says the thing about trepidation, hurting, whatever, whatever. But um, anyway. Uh so let's see. Oh, so then there's this really cute thing, which I thought was kind of heartwarming. Uh, once she allows her assistant to read her mind and to become a better assistant for her and, and you know, make her more comfortable, just, just do things for Bethel uh, to make Bethel's life better. Uh, she notices almost immediately that her sensorium was functional with respect to this assistant with the entire biological working splayed out for Bethel to inspect. Which I guess means that's what intimacy is for Bethel. And she just felt like she was all alone in a cold world where she couldn't see people's insides anymore. And now she can again for one person. And that's really sweet. Her assistant knew that that's something that she like actually liked about her ability to interact with people. Yeah. Yeah. I love when she calls her because, you know, June, you know, she says maybe, you know, another time um, on both the torture and maybe the sex. And mm-hmm. uh, then she's just like assistant. And it says, yes, a blandly attractive woman who popped into existence. Um, and so like, this is the assistant that she's had since she got to heaven. And mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, it looked like a generic person. I don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what she made this person. And then I just love how she says, she looks at her and she's like, be the way I want you to be. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I can't read your mind. And then Bethel's thinking about, thinking about this to herself. And this is just like the biggest kind of Bethel moments of like, First of all, allowing herself to that kind of vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she says that, you know, 
maybe the fear was that the assistant would work and it would melt away all of her inner pain and hesitation, right? Mm-hmm. That that's the fear is like, well, this might actually solve my problems. Then you know, then if I'm not miserable, then I have to like actually face the prospect of being happy, mm-hmm. and that's that that will necessitate a change, you know? Yeah. And so it, I think it's exhilarating and awesome because it, it's just a big step, right? Yeah. This is the, this is the step anyone takes when they decide that they're going to change something about their lives for the better. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's awesome. It is. And yeah, she does. The chapter ends with uh, Bethel began to build a new home, which is great because that's that's what she wants and what she always wanted. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a great way to end it. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't like, a, OK, well, here, I've got this big sledgehammer. I can take to your personality and we're going to fix you in three, two, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's it's a very, you know, gentle transition. And it works out great. So, yeah, I, 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 this is just a general note I have, but all the epilogue chapters are basically exploring what the transhuman post singularity future could look like. And I think they're really cool for that. Yeah. It's interesting. And they, they all have different lenses on it. Um, I, I do, you know, it just kind of comes back to that first sentence. The world didn't end the same way for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this one opens up nevermore, which is hilarious, Raven. Um, it is, yeah. It's she's ten years into her whatever life in heaven, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically they've got their twice yearly trips, and she's missed a few of them, and you can tell she's feeling listless, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they, she's got this group of people. I forget what they're called. They they're going to pass the time slash find meaning just by like finding dead people to petition to be resurrected. Mm-hmm. Cause like everyone already brought back everyone they knew and they all brought back all their friends, you know, the heavens not number in the trillions. And, uh, now it's just like, all right, well here, this guy died 20,000 years ago in some fight or like some war. I found his diary. He seems cool. You know, like random shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. But and it does make the question of like, you know, why can't we just snap our fingers, and bring back all the dead people? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the authority doesn't like that idea. Uh, the the juniper is talking to to her about the authority and like an aside a flashback something but uh juniper says like by your logic when she's saying that like everybody who has a life worth living or the potential for one should be brought back to life uh just instantly you know without questions asked and juniper says by your logic the authority should have instantiated every possible person who has ever or could ever have existed and raven shouted yes exactly and that seemed like an interesting thought to me because like in a world of infinite heavens is there any reason not to do that this is a this is kind of a fun puzzle and i I tried to tease this out for like last week and i think we touched on it last week when we talked about um people having kids in the future Mm -hmm. right and there might be some restrictions or some people might just not want to or you know why stop at two and not 200 um Mm -hmm. i don't know there's something you know, the approach here in whatever June's heavens seems to be something along the lines of like keeping life scarce. Maybe that makes it more special, but like it, it allows for more, um, I going to say more diversity, but it almost necessitates less diversity, but like, I don't know. It'll, it'll mean some rarity, you know, there might not be a person, you know, if you, if you could pick 10,000 personality traits, there might not be somebody who fits, who checks every box. You know, or at least if it's a one to 10 on every scale, right? Like, yeah. So whatever it is, like there, there, it might be like, oh yeah, there's no one quite like this. You know, like the idea that, 
I don't know. It's it's kind of like um, that, go ahead. Sorry. Isn't that imposing artificial scarcity? Like, don't we hate that? That we want to be in a post scarcity future, and why is that limited just to atoms and material things? Like, why not have post scarcity of people as well? I don't know. And I'm glad I thought of this because this might be a good intuition bump. But mm-hmm. why is you know part of why Rick Sanchez is miserable is because he can always jump one universe to the left and you know be home again right yeah yeah nothing matters because he's got infinite families yeah in fact you know it's there's something about that that does suck out the fun of this family right yes. the fact that they are yeah. actually irreplaceable right now or the fact that they are completely replaceable in in rick's world right and so that's why his family doesn't have any meaning to him like you know i don't know how much as a character he's really consistent but like the the idea is like the fact that like here on earth you know our friends we can't just like go out and find another one, you know, that is exactly the same. You've got to find new mm-hmm. friends and they're different and everyone has their own fun ways of interact- interacting with them. Like yeah. something about that being a limited resource seems to be a great source of like life fulfillment. And so maybe we fix that and we just, you know, race to the bottom of no, no, we, we need to tile the universe with small people who can be as happy as possible. Right. All right. Um, cause I, cause I realized that's like the utilitarian end point like at least one version of it. Um, you could just make one giant utility monster, but um, <laughs> like, I don't know. I think, and I'm not sure if this is, I don't know if I'm actually on board with this, but I think I'm sympathetic to it. At least I get where it's coming from. If I try to build it up that way, like there is something special about having things be at least having some things like that be rare. Right. Yeah. Even if it is scarcity and scarcity sucks. Like, I think, is that's, it, isn't that's... your partner special because there's no one quite like her? If there, if if you could go downtown and meet fifty people like her in ten minutes, wouldn't it be like you know we'd have a hell of an evening? <laughs> you know, I can't argue with that. But somehow, wouldn't it make each individual one lo- just a little less special? Maybe not. Maybe this isn't a good example. I I mean, I wouldn't have the memories with those other fifty that I have with this one. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, history is important. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It something like I don't know. I mean, part of the Rick's problem is that he can go one universe over, and they have all the exact same memories as the ones that just died, right? Yeah, and I don't know. There, there's something though. Maybe Amaryllis's ability to clone was related. You know, like I guess I was gonna say they didn't. They didn't all get names, but they're all Amaryllis. Um, yeah. But it's like they they didn't really matter. You know, they're totally expendable, but. They were actual clones that were like eventually subsumed back into the prime. Like that's different than just like having 30 people who were just like Amarillo's except slightly, slightly, you know, one atom different, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, the, one of the things that this got me thinking about was Peter Singer's uh, argument, which I'm, I know you're familiar with, but the one about if there's a child drowning in a pond and um, you can jump in to save it, but it'll ruin your $2,000 shoes. Uh, should you still do it to which everyone says, yes, obviously fuck the $2,000 if there's a child drowning. And then he says, well, if there's someone on the other side of the planet whose life you could save by spending $2,000, isn't that morally equivalent uh, to, to if, if you don't send them $2,000 morally equivalent to not saving that drowning child because they're $2,000 shoes. And uh, that's a bit more iffy, but if we do accept that, then what if like, you could save the drowning child without by spending zero dollars. <laughs> just you know, just save them. You, you should you you should do that, right? And if you could save someone on the other side of the planet by spending zero dollars, then you should probably do that as well. 
And if you could create like, someone on the edge of possibility space who yeah. could use saving. Yeah, they, they, they might not exist, but you can make them exist and it costs you zero dollars because there's infinite everything. Shouldn't you do that? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not quite the same because the person that doesn't exist doesn't already have a rich history with other people, which is where most of humans values come from value comes from, right? That and just like, you know, either they're not tight with other people, just an intrinsic want to do stuff and to, to live. You know, yeah, like yeah, they they have a desire to not die, as yeah. opposed to the person who doesn't exist doesn't have any desires. I think it is reasonable to ask, you know, does the person distant from us matter less than the person near us? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's you know, aside from like whatever the personal impact of you know your own psychology and care, it's like in your own like sphere of care. I mean, it's it's hard to see like no no yeah, lives over there matter less than over here. Um, it just matters where here is I, that that aside, I guess. Well, it might make sense to ask, do people far away matter as much as people close by? I think it doesn't make sense, to, or at least that's a tough question. What isn't a tough question is, do people who don't exist matter as, people as, much, as much as people who do exist? Right. And I think that that's probably a no. Um, I think yeah, but if there, there's make- a question about people who will exist, not who like don't, but will. Um, yeah. That's different. I think we do have an obligation to people who don't exist yet because they're going to exist like people from the future. Like we have an obligation to them to not destroy the planet or something. Right. Um, sure. But we don't, have, we don't, we don't have an obligation to people who will never exist. I don't know what we could owe them. But if it doesn't make anything worse because there's no limit on resources and it does make things better because there's another happy, healthy person in the world, I guess there's no obligation to make it better, but it'd still be good to make things better. Right. Yeah, which is, I guess, where the whole society of 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 mind of people being resurrected, you know, what they think and how they why they're going about this. I think I put this in my notes when I was reading it. But my one interpretation of this whole thing is that, like, you know, they brought back everyone who wanted it immediately because it's the nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they they let the people like Raven have their little club and let them think they were resurrecting people. Yeah, because yeah. it gave them value. Um, I. That that's that's like my number one hypothesis as well. That this is something to to give people work to do to feel valuable. I guess it raises the question because I don't want to think that the the authorities are deceiving people. So maybe they are actually resurrecting actual dead people, right? Oh, I think they are resurrecting actual dead people. But in the grand scheme of eternity, if it takes an extra ten years to resurrect someone, that's okay for the extra joy and fulfillment it brings someone for having a job for ten those ten years. And that that's what helps to adjust them to eternal bliss in the heavens, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, all right, if we have to delay the resurrection of everybody to help onboard, you know, some of the people that were alive at the transition, you know, mm-hmm. I think that might make sense. Yeah. I, I think it also helps to underline that uh, the authority is very serious about its consent theater. And uh, <laughs> th- this this is like, yo, no, guys, I'm really very serious about it by, by forcing these groups to uh to jump through these hoops in order for cons- consent to be met in the authority's eyes i don't think that it's consent that they're looking for with making raven and her friends jump through hoops um they're they're, they're they don't see they, they see making people exist as a rather serious move right sure even, yeah. even with infinite resources there's still something about like okay this is going to have cascading effects that will permeate through the rest of eternity right in a way that like me making a sandwich doesn't because the sandwich goes away when it's done. 
Like this person is going to continue to interact with everything forever. Yeah. Like it's just a, it's a bigger thing. And so they're not just running around, you know, making people left and right unless they think it makes somebody really happy to do it. And so when Raven's like, you know, random stranger X, they're like, no, you don't really care about that. And so they have to find people that's like, they quote actually care about. Right. So it's not, yeah. it's not about getting there. It's not about the consent there. It's about making Raven and her friends happy. Well, I mean, according to the text, uh, part of the authority's argument against resurrection was that it had no informed consent to resurrect anyone unless they explicitly said so only inferred consent. And so no informed consent to, and no informed consent to read their minds to get consent. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. That actually does seem like a stretch. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that they might just be saying that you're right to be obstinate because that, that's a really good point and good catch on that. Cause like, I, I see what they're saying, but you're right. Mm-hmm. That, that That's bullshit. Like, yeah. you know, if I, if I didn't write down, you know, bring me back from the dead. If you can, by the way, bring me back from the dead. If you can, um, Totes, me too. All right. Now it's out there. Any, any yeah. authority who says, well, they didn't ask for it. Fuck you. Uh, right. So, you know, but like the thing is like, no, you, you can ask them and if they're dead, you can read their mind to check if, see if they'd be okay with it. Like yeah. you're not wronging fact, anybody. Let me, copy, let, let me caveat that. Bring me back from the dead. If you can, as long as that existence won't be worse than not existing in my opinion. Yeah, I I appreciate the caveat. Good point. Let, I want to hang the asterisk on my request as well. Um, <laughs> okay, but yeah, if you think if you think that I think it'll suck, don't. Um, but you're welcome to ask me. How's that sound? Even uh, better. Yeah, but yeah. Well, we don't have the we don't have the informed consent to read their minds to get consent. It's like no, that's <laughs> that's that's a load of shit. They're dead. You know, mm-hmm. read their read their minds. Uh, I don't think you're wronging anybody by using your God powers to see if they want to be alive, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that it definitely is so they can have a fil- fulfilling hobby. Um, there is something. I Didn't it say something about how some people, they resurrected, said, no, thanks, kill me? Yeah. So some people, I guess it's not clear to me, I guess, how they read their minds. Maybe there is some actual constraint, but I'm going to just say it's God magic. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and they brought those people back purely as like instructive efforts for Raven and her friends. Um, I... I mean, it sounds like the, the the people had enough people care about them that uh, the authority was like, okay, well, in order to fulfill your values and make you not miserable, I will resurrect this person. But the person can always opt out, and then some of them do. Isn't that really funny? Like, mm-hmm. you're a great-grandmother or something. Like, you know, you, you get enough people together who, like, want her back, and she's like, oh, fuck you guys. Make me dead again. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's you same. know how long it took me to get dead in the first place? There's, there's no there's ruining no, all those decades of work. There's no bigger middle finger than saying I'd rather be dead than hang out with you people. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Um, so she she brings back this random dude, and then she's like, Great, that was fun. Okay, I'm bored. And her, you know, you can kind of tell this where it's going. For me, it was kind of fun because it's kind of like a gradual reveal. Like she did kind of seem charged and energized about this at first. And then as she's actually getting it, you can tell it's just not doing anything for her. Yeah. Well, because we start out the chapter with like her process of getting into this and further back in time. And we catch up to her in the present when she's kind of burnt out on the whole thing. Yeah. And her her assistant catches on right away, too. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, this isn't making happy like it used to, is it? It's like, no, not really, I guess. Uh, Apparently. In one of the heavens or somewhere, there's mind-meltingly enormous fields of wire-headed brains, ones which have been purpose-built to experience <laughs> optimal pleasure under different different definitions of pleasure, stripped down so there were no memories, no personality, no identity. 
Which, okay. I mean, I guess at least this will get the wireheaders to chill out. They they got wireheader heaven. I, yeah, I'm glad you grabbed that because that is pretty funny. What I liked about it was, um, I think, how did they... Uh, Oh, here it is. Raven says that the authority didn't seem to particularly favor wireheading and would argue against it, which Raven appreciated. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think this is, you know, this is some of Alexander's, you know, preferences sneaking in, but I'm super on board with it. So I agree. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if I, if if I was making all the heavens, I'd be like, okay, fine. You guys really want the, the infinite cuddle puddle of orgasmium. It's over there. You can, you can go in it if you want, Uh, but I'm not going to put a big, you know, las vegas sign pointing to it like i i mean i believe everybody has the right to kill themselves if they want to just you know i i and i guess so does the authority it just i weird that you wouldn't go the whole way if you're gonna do that actually i now that you put it that way because i think about that once in a while with like you know the opt-out of heaven eternity whatever like Mm -hmm. i do think that's an important ingredient uh, mm-hmm. I definitely like the option of like, Hey, do you want to opt out and just like be wiped and just be a pleasure button for like ever just have, you know, you'll, there, there will sort of be a you left, but it'll just be pure joy and happiness and pleasure, whatever. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't sound so much. That doesn't sound, it sounds a lot like, you know, oblivion. Um, yeah. but it's an oblivion where I'm constantly orgasming. So well, <laughs> like, there's, there's, there's an oblivion where there's a brain that's constantly orga- orgasming. I wouldn't say it's you anymore because you're dead. Yeah, something's happy, right? I think, you know, those, <laughs> yes. I, think, I think they're basically equivalent <laughs> outcomes for me. But mm-hmm. I, I, I think in the condition where I'm ready to just throw in the towel and die, mm-hmm. I think I, w- I should be at least interested in the orgasmium puddle. At least there's one more quivering brain out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cool. It's quivering in pure happiness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. Date night for Raven. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, she just kind of like me- meanders into it when she's like, you're right, I'm bored. Like, what should I do? Well, yeah, you can go on a date. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the assistants, uh, you know, they, yeah, they give her that option. Uh, Raven says, fine. Get me something to wear. Make sure I'm clean. Pick the venue. Like, just do everything there and teleport me into the date, basically. <laughs> And I mean, I, I feel like a huge hypocrite right here because I complained about Val making up random stuff for no reason in the last episode with her spells. But this this seems the, like what Raven just did. I don't know. It's not it. It feels like it takes some of the ritual out of the dating. And I don't know why exactly that feels bad, because it is kind of a chore to do those things. And maybe this is just like. Oh, I, I, old man yelling at clouds. I don't want things to change. And that's a stupid reason. And she can do whatever she wants, but I've never thought of myself as conservative. And yet it would feel kind of like a loss to me if I were just to like suddenly be warped over to the date and <laughs> not have thought at all about like what to wear and putting on some makeup and making sure I'm clean and all, you know? I never thought of myself as conservative. I mean, I think, I think you're not. I don't know exactly what conservative means, but I think it means more than being worried about being reduced, you know, in some huge dimensions like that, right? Like you're not conservative if you like being more than just an orgasmic puddle, right? It's yeah, like, well, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to be diminished, you know, out of these experiences. Uh, yeah. Am I conservative for wanting to hold on to those? It's like no, you're just a person. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I, I think, uh, and I, I don't know. Maybe that is some level of. Con- I, I guess conservatism is a politically loaded word, but you know, reservation yeah. about change, maybe. Um, 
I think that's the definition of a conservatism. But one one is a is a trigger word for our brains, and the other's right. Not okay. you know, it's just a it's tabooed. But yeah, it's a good uh, good a good idea to taboo triggery words. Yeah. So I guess I'm just thinking like I think this might be analogous to you know she she's she's kind of saying you know like like Jorge you know woodworks right. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's she's kind of just saying, give me a canoe that I made. Yeah. You know, like, sure, here, you made this. Like, great. Thanks. <laughs> right. I love it. Like, I, Some, <laughs> of course I love it. I made it, right? <laughs> like, there's sometimes you just that. Wa- Sometimes you just want a canoe. And in that case, it's fine. And yeah. maybe that's what she's doing, you know, because actually, you know, there's another lens to read this through. Hmm. Um, she's kind of depressed and doesn't quite know what to do. She's talking about like, oh, maybe I just give the old treadmill a kick or do some priority reshuffling or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the heavens don't like people dying. So they probably aren't like huge on people doing drastic rewrites of themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she's just like, you know, fuck it. I don't care. Give me something to wear. Take me there. Like it's just yeah. complete resignation. Like, all right, you, you say I should go out and have fun. I trust you. All right, whatever. I don't have the energy for this. Just do it for me. And yeah, that's actually really awesome because how many times are people who are depressed stopped by relatively small inconveniences like getting dressed, you know, when if they could just they could just power through that, then they could they'd have a wonderful evening. I mean, especially when you're depressed and out of energy, like the slightest excuse to not have to do stuff like fuck it, man. I don't you know, I, totally. Yeah. I don't have matching socks. I'm out. Fuck this. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> we all have those evenings sometimes. Exactly. Um so I think that might like be what's just, going on. Yeah. On, on the, the other the other side of it too is that she's just there, there's I guess a third interpretation which is that she's used to being uh, like expertly waited on, mm-hmm. and so you know even to the point of like picking out what she looks like. You know what what should I pick? You know something that you like or that or something that he would like or something that represents you. And she's like make make me the best version of myself irrespective of, of what he likes. You know. Yeah. Because that that doesn't quite fit with the like I'm depressed do whatever vibe. Um, cause the answer to that would have been like, do whatever you think. Uh, All right. So I think that she, maybe this is just like, she's used to being weighted on hand and foot. And like, for some of us, like the joy of getting dressed up is fun. Right. Mm-hmm. But she's yeah. like, no, I'll let my butler do it. Like, you know, that's a you know, damn good point. Like, especially if your time is valuable, like, you, you don't need to go out and make all the little decisions like what conditioner should I buy or whatever. You let the butler do that because you have far more important decisions to make. Yeah, let them just buttle the hell out of your outfit. That's right. Yeah. Buttle me hard, bro. (laughs) I buttle, so. Uh, (laughs) All right, so she's on a date with this awesome nerd who does bonsai trees, except different, and she does actual bonsai trees. Yeah. And it's just, it was kind of cute when when that came out, because, you know, they're they're chatting or whatever, and he's kind of awkward and rambly. And it's funny, because she's like immediately getting endeared towards him. Mm -hmm. I actually had a thought about this. Because she's hmm. like, oh, his rambliness, you know, is that just me being, you know, endeared by whatever? Like, there's something bold about it, you know, because people would edit out, like, the the edges like that, right? Right. Um, and so she likes the fact that he's like that. And then I'm wondering, you know, if you're a basically baseline human, you know, who hasn't been edited too much, if, if whatever, the avatar of God that you trusted a lot said, I'm going to put you on a date with somebody I'm pretty sure you'll really like. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, like you would sort of be inclined to like them like extra fast and extra hard because this, you know, Omega told you that you're probably going to love this person. Huh? Honestly, I think it would depend how I felt about Omega. Cause if I was, yeah, sorry. 
because if I wasn't kindly inco- inclined toward Omega, I might be like, oh, yeah, prove it to me, bitch. I bet I'm not going to like you at all. And like, I'd be less likely to like them. But on the other hand, if like I liked and trusted Omega, then then, yeah, I probably would be more more looking for the things I like. It's like when I um when I read a, a cause this is on my mind because we just recently read the short stories for the that were nominated for Hugo Awards. When I read a short story, if I know it's been nominated for a Hugo Award, even if it starts out kind of boring and whatever i'm like well this was nominated for an award i'm sure there's good stuff here and so like i'm more inclined to keep going and give it a give it a shot i think that that might be what's happening here you know like uh when i watch why women kill the first 10 minutes isn't captivating i'll keep going right um, you know i don't know what the first few minutes ted lasso were like for you but you might have cut you know might have pushed through because you're like all right steven tr- you know said to try this right Oh, that's yeah. a good point. Like, I mean, it was it was fine from the beginning, but it took a couple episodes to to hook you. Yeah, it doesn't quite hook right away. You're right. Um, yeah, because there's nothing there's nothing really of substance in the first episode. There's you know there's fun setups for stuff, but there's nothing that kind of grabs you really well. Um, yeah, it's yeah. like once you get really just any emotional investment in, and right. you're like, okay, now I'm now I'm invested. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I think that if I you know had somebody that could read my thoughts and I knew that. They could also read my date's thoughts and they're setting me up with somebody they think I'll date really well. I'd be like, yeah, I think I'll probably just like them. I might as well just, you know. Just skip to the end and start liking them now? Yeah, like like in the future where I could literally turn that dial. Um, I might not literally turn it, but I might I might metaphorically turn it in my head. Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, you know what? I'm probably gonna like this person. Let's just, you know, let myself be open to that right away. Yeah. Anyway, I just like that because she's like liking everything about this guy. And I wondered how much right? of that was just like her being primed by, you know, an all-knowing uh janet uh yeah and how much of it was uh gen- you know, not genuine because it doesn't make it less genuine right mm-hmm. it's not less real just because you know it was authored because you know it it was it's still genuine feelings they're just uh you know helped along this is a uh sh- you know this is perfect uh Uthu yeah. was her emotional dildo this is just emotional viagra you know <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it as long as we can use sex, uh, term, sex related terminology for stuff, it's it's always the way to do it. So totally, and I I that just got me to thinking like that that lizard dude that boned Grack, like thinking about it, he knows that he is about to be set up with someone that he can help with his dick, <laughs> and that's kind of awesome because you don't ever know that like going into a a new encounter, even even someone that you've known for a while, you know, you don't know that that the sex is going to be great or whatever. And like, this is God setting you up with someone who's like, yeah, no, this person, your dick's going to really help them out. Like that, that had to be the most fucking most fulfilling sex that he was walking into ever. Uh, You know, maybe he does this every night, but they're all, you know, very fulfilling, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like if if you're a a pediatrician and you're curing kid cancer every evening, it it doesn't stop being cool just because you've cured 10 million kids already. (laughs) You're right. That, that, the, once you pop the phone, don't stop there, right? Yeah. Oh, oh so they they really hit it off, and they kind of decide to d- jump into a uh, into an Arab kind of thing for a couple hours, a couple years. A co- oh, sorry, that's what I meant. Yes, a couple yeah. years. I don't know. It, which happens. you know, as far as first dates go, that is quite the mm. big jump, right? Hmm. I I thought that was really awesome. I I I really like the sort of like jump into an alternate universe. Um transhumanist ending things i think that's part of why i really loved utopia lol and i also think it's really cool that in the final paragraphs of worth the candle raven is going to start all over and worth the candle herself 
It all comes back around. I like that too. And I'm glad you put it that way. I think I, I can't remember what my notes said. I might've had some version of that, but like specifically she's going to worth the candle herself. Um, you know, like in the way that Alexander did for himself. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I guess she's not going to third person author her own book kind of thing, but she's right. like, you know, drop me into a simulation and let me maybe learn a lesson. Maybe not. We'll see what happens kind of thing. Right. It'll Although, be exciting think, and fulfilling. Yeah. And that, that's, that's going to be the, the primes on the machine. And yeah. Uh, you know, there's also just the fun thing. Like what a, you know, again, you've got to take time off cause there's no whatever time crunching. Right. But mm-hmm. what an awesome friend building friendship building exercise. Right. Jesus Christ, man. Totally. I would do so many of those, especially due to my whole belief that friendships are forged under shared trauma, you know? Yeah. I mean, what brings people together more than saving Middle Earth together, right? Right. Exactly. Bormir and uh, Aragorn would never have gotten along, uh, mm-hmm. except for, you know, they were on an important mission together. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that that's, you know, good friendships are forged in, in fire like that. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, maybe we should go like join the Ukrainian Defense Force for a year or something. Uh, I like the idea of waiting for a simulation. <laughs> it sounds less lethal. All and, right. And I also hope the Ukrainian Defense Force doesn't need to be around for a year because I hope things, you know, tire out before then. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I it's funny. We'll figure out we, something, we, something else to do. We know somebody who's doing that. And it's funny because when he told me that, I was like, you know, it kind of makes me like, that's awesome. And I'm not, you know, I'm, this is impressive and cool. But what it makes me feel like is like, not not in so many words, like he's doing it, but it's like, I feel like kind of called out by the fact that he's doing this, not that he's calling me out. And yeah. it's like, if I actually cared, I'd be doing the same thing, right? Th- this, is, this is proving to me that I don't actually care enough. Well, yeah, but you care about Rachel more than you care about that war. And but isn't that you bizarrely selfish of me? <laughs> I would say no, that is perfectly human and honestly, probably for the best. I, I've i come around more to people should make sure their own surroundings are in order first and then try to start helping further than that afterwards. And I guess and we don't want to be a, a species of people that would all care enough to drop our lives to go run on you know some emergency, right? As you said, though, it's like I do care more, more about Rachel than I do about the war, I guess, or about, I mean, I care more about if I had to pick, you know. Mm-hmm. I never see Rachel again, but the war ends like without nuclear annihilation. Like I'd pick that one, right? Well, but I don't think that I could stop that. I don't think I could stop that personally. So, and also the chance of nuclear annihilation already isn't like I don't think it's high. It's not. It's yeah, not where I'd like it. uh, Right. Yeah. Anyway, but it's not like it's guaranteed to be nuclear annihilation if you don't go or something. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up. But uh, let's wrap it up. Indeed, um, I, I do have a hypothesis that okay, I could render. Oh, this could be my last prediction for the story. Ooh. And I'm not that confident in it. But wait, you're making a last prediction after we've already read the last chapter. Yes. Interesting. All right. What is this last prediction? It, it's it's a it's a here's a maybe. Hmm. I wonder if what's the next one called? This used to be about dragons. This used to be about dungeons. That's right. The sequel will be this used to be about dragons. Um, right. This book is about dungeons, or is it about dragons? But it used to be about dungeons. Oh, nice. Yeah, that could be it. Um, that could be Raven's deep dive. That would be awesome. Uh, you know, it. I think it could be done in a totally. See, here's the thing. Like the the reason I was so I paused for a while and was thinking about it and being conflicted because I do think that would be awesome and it's a possibility. But also, Alexander Wales promised June that he was done with this world. 
And if he was writing a, you know, if he was writing Raven's Deep Dive in the story, then he just lied to June, which I guess is fine because June doesn't exist or whatever. But no, still, no. It, it feels it, like it still matters weird. that he keeps that promise. I, I June exists in our hearts and in, in you know, Alexander's. I think that's that's all that matters. I think uh, it would be a betrayal to June for him to write more of Arab. I think yeah. it, I think it is an actual, like, not technically violating the rules sort of situation of like, no, man, Arab's off the table. I'm writing a story for Raven now, right? That is different. But, That's but like, I'm not Raven's fucking with you, Arab. you know? But, yeah, but, but, but she's not She's Arab. not taking a deep dive to Arab. She's taking a deep dive with her memory wipes and everything to a fantasy land. Like, All right. generic fan- fantasy land one, you know? Yeah. yeah so yeah, I yeah. think, uh, I, I don't think this, I don't think this violates the word or the spirit of that promise. <sighs> but, but we would always know that it's actually Raven. That's well, actually I deep diving that. from Arab. I, I, yeah. But I think that we wouldn't know until some reveal, right? She's not going to look like Raven. She might, but she might not. Right. But if we get that reveal eventually, then it'll retroactively taint everything. I don't know if it'll taint it. Like I said, I don't think that him writing a world for Raven is this is violating the promise he made to June to not write more Arab. Like, you know, it, it would be if he like teleported June to this world. And it was like, I said, I wouldn't write more Arab. Not that I wouldn't, you know, write more Barb. You know, air with a B, um, <laughs> right? So I think that would violate the the spirit, but not the word of that promise. But I think I think giving Raven a a world is not violating that. But you know, I would say I we, there's like only one way to find out. We'll have to read on, but there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. So maybe I'll check out the story oh. and we'll see what it says. Excellent. There's always somewhere else I, to go, even if it's a different book. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how I would feel about that. I mean, I'd probably feel just fine about it because I would love the story, much like, you know, I, I love Olive Worth the Candle, despite my one thing that I dislike about it. But it still feels somewhere kind of in my heart, like like Alexander Wales cheated on June by doing that, <laughs> which is the stupidest thing in the world to say or think, right? I mean, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. He, he, you know, Wales doesn't have a monogamous relationship with his characters. He has a harem with them, right? <laughs> That's a damned good point. That's why June is all obsessed with harems. Yeah. Makes sense. We've done it. He's like, I'm just another June to you, aren't I? <laughs> well, uh it you know, as long as they're all on board with it, it's 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 a consensual relation, you know, uh harem. Not the kind where you're cheating on everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, man. Well, do we do we toast? We do. The very last lines of the book are he extended his glass to her for an impromptu toast to new worlds and to new adventures within them she agreed and i think that's an amazing way to end the book it's 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 hopeful it's happy and i think i think exploration always makes humans hopeful and that this brings that emotion up for me i think that there's a case that could be made that uh, that's hardwired into our system uh yeah carl Sagan seemed to believe that um, oh cool and uh I agree. It's fun. You know, in a, if you want to be a little sappy with yourself every day, you can say this, right? Mm-hmm. You, 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 before you get out of bed or maybe when you get into bed at the, you know, before you go to sleep, um, mm-hmm. like every day could be new adventures within, you know, the world that day, you know, it, again, you have to yeah. be a bit sappy and squinty with it, but uh, like, I don't know. It's great. And what's cool is like I said, she's worth a candling herself. She doesn't know exactly what she needs or where she's going, but that's part of the thrill of being a person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's awesome. It's great. And 
now I think I did say before we started the epilogues that uh, what did I say? I said something about either they wouldn't they wouldn't leave us wanting more, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or is that what he said? I can't no, remember. I think that's what you said. Oh, good. Well, one of us is right. Whoever said that? Yeah. So I, you know, the so the epilogues in general, I don't find like that memorable because nothing like that drastic or world changing happens in them but when i was thinking back to the 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 end that i read and the feeling at the end of it like the feeling of this brand new world opening up and it it was a very strong emotion how it ended but it still left me like it left me really yearning for more like badly and that's not necessarily a bad thing like that's how firefly ends too and we never forgot it for that reason but the fact that he wrote all these chapters afterwards as a sort of like way to let us down easy. It's like, it's like the, the end was the orgasm. And then these chapters afterwards were like the aftercare and the pillow talk and the cuddling, you know, like that is good stuff too. And now that we're at the end of it, I feel, I feel very happy that all that happened. And I feel fulfilled by, by reading these chapters and being eased out of the world slowly rather than just dumped out. Yeah. I, I actually, that's how I explained it to Rachel when I was like, no, we finished the book proper a couple episodes ago. Now we're doing like the epilogues and you know, they're, they're distinct, you know, they're kind of just like the, the nice little bow that ties everything up. And I, I did use the aftercare analogy as well. Uh, oh, cool. It's like, I mean, cause it's, it's perfect. And I've heard it used with, with other, like in, in other contexts where with authors and stuff, it's just like, yeah, no, we put you through stuff. Now it's going to be like the relaxing bit, you know, um, yeah. before we get back into the meat grinder. Uh, right. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, no, it was good. You're right. Like nothing, I mean, kind of definitionally nothing happens. Like the DM said, I'm basically going to fuck off and mm-hmm. kind of just, these are all, you know, it feels less like their, their actions are being dictated more just like we're, we're seeing what they're up to. Yeah. You know, and this is what life would be like without a adventure grinding DM pushing on you. Yeah. And what are they doing? Man, they're having to forge their own meaning rather than having it shoved at them. You know, one zombie Voltron at a time yeah yeah it's great i loved it you know the 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 epilogues were yeah nice it's like a it's like a mint after you know nice mint after an expensive meal you know it's a I, it's I, a pitch meeting reference oh okay okay yeah. it, it was I, I uh what was it the spider-man far from home came out like right after Endgame. Uh, and the, okay. the, the exact the pitch guy is like yeah you know it's like a it's like one of those nice mints after an expensive meal except this mint cost 160 million dollars oh a very expensive mint um, nice <laughs> see i've never really liked the mints after the meal so that's why the analogy didn't ah, work for me perfect but, yeah it, yeah because that does more than cleanse the palate it you know it wipes it yes yeah Blasts the palate that. out of your mouth yeah no. anyway this was good i had fun with it i i think i would have been fi- i would have been fine if it ended at then I all at once I had the power I got on making the world better. Like mm-hmm. all that this gave me was, you know, like the intellectual fun of like, Oh man, what is there? What does this utopia look like? And then just seeing how all the characters are doing. And yeah. you know, if you'd asked me to guess, how are they doing? I'd said, I don't know. They're probably working on becoming great. You know, like mm-hmm. that probably would have been my guess uh, because it's heaven. Like it would have been a drag if like, Oh, I bet they're all orgasmium puddles. Um, right, but no, nah, like you know, so they're they're not all immediately perfectly happy, but they're all finally able to work on it impediment free. Yeah, and so yeah, it was good. I had fun with it, and fun of this whole thing, dude. Yeah, heck, we'll, this, we'll this do a was... final chat about it at some point. We should. 
we'll we'll let this sit and ruminate for a while and maybe when i get back in in late mid late september yeah that sounds good to me uh one last thing david greer composed uh, some music for me way back in the day for the harry potter and methods of rationality podcast i remember that did he do the um uh the sprout fight uh yes i believe that's what it was and possibly one other one crap it's been so long now that's fine but he, I would, he definitely did the sprout fight and he also did our intro music for the Bayesian Conspiracy, which I is still going to this too. day. Yeah. yeah, and we're still using that music. Anyways, he composed a piece that was inspired by Worth the Candle. And a few weeks ago, he was like, hey, here's the whole thing. Uh, if you want to play it. And I said, absolutely. You're an awesome homie. And then I thought, you know what? The podcast is almost done. I am going to save it till the end here and go out on it at the end of our last episode. So for our outro music, we will have the full piece by David Greer. Thank you for writing that. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, that's outstanding. I appreciate it. Reminder, do keep a um, check back in every few, you know, in a few weeks to see what stuff comes out. And yeah, uh, yeah this was great. Um, major high five. Uh, you know, Alexander gets his obviously his high five, but he's had one every episode. I haven't given you enough proper high fives for this. This was a really fun idea. Um, oh, yeah, it's been something to look forward to, to every week. This has yeah. been this has been great. So, and I know it's been a huge commitment on your time, too. And so thanks for I mean, you knew getting into this roughly how long it was. And you knew about the size of what episodes we pick or what chapters. You're like, okay, this will be about uh, two years. And uh, we went a little faster than that. But yeah, I had expected to read two to three chapters a week rather than the three to four that we generally did. Like I I thought we'd be at this for another six months or so. But uh, this worked out well. Our our audience was demanding. (laughs) They were like, no, no risk for you. Well, you know, it wasn't the cost I minded paying. You know, if I got a little more every week, it worked out great. Absolutely. Well, cool. I'm really glad you liked this too, because it was it was a great experience experience for me as well, and uh, better than I expected it to be, honestly. And I think a lot of that is due to the strength of of the writing, and uh, and also a lot of it is just to the fact that you're you know an awesome person, and this is a lot of fun to read with you. Oh, you're too kind. This was this was a lot of fun. This is a group effort, and uh, you know that. I don't know. This is good. I mean, we I, I can't think of a, my, my vocabulary isn't uh, as as solid as yours, Alexander. So all I could just say is good and mean different things about it. <laughs> um, yeah, but I had a lot of fun. And this was a, a very, you know, meaningful and impactful adventure doing it this way and story on its own. Um, I think I need to I've been trying to pitch this to a friend who's like, you know, uh, busy, always has stuff to read or whatever. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to sell it to him by saying this is probably the it's it's if you ask me what's the best book I've ever read, this is the first one that comes to mind. It also has the, you know, recency bias, uh, a recency yeah. heuristic. But I think, you know, it depends on what part of your life you're reading it in too. But Absolutely. I think if I had to recommend, well, it depends on who I'm recommending it to, this over like Methods of Rationality or something. Um, mm-hmm. But this was really, 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 really good on like, yeah. you know, a handful of different metrics. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I laughed, I cried, I... uh Whatever. I I remember Stephen Colbert wrote a book and on the cover, he quoted himself saying, I laughed. I cried. I lost 10 pounds. Um, (laughs) And uh, I was going to say that, but then I realized I want to get the reference because it's not really a reference to anything. Um, Oh, it is. It's a reference to Stephen Colbert's book, like you just told us. A very, very niche reference. Um, (laughs) The references, the jokes no one gets are the best jokes of all, right? (laughs) The jokes you have to explain are the best jokes. (laughs) Yes. See, those are funnier because it really annoys people when you explain jokes. Ah, see? 
<laughs> All right. Well, before we make everyone hate this, we should sign off. But, uh, you know, we'll be back. I, this is too much fun to let it go completely. There'll be epilogues. How's that sound? Absolutely. That sounds great to me. All right. Well, I'll see you all then. All right. Goodbye. <laughs>